Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to The Destiny Show Podcast. Part of the Robots Radio Network. Live on Twitch every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Robots Radio presents... Hello, Guardians, and welcome to the Destiny Show podcast. This is episode 14, and on today's episode, we welcome Rami Ismail of Dutch studio Vlambeer. We'll learn more about Rami and his incredible career in the video gaming industry. We'll discuss the PlayStation 5 announcement, video game exclusivity, and we'll dive into This Week at Bungie and more on today's episode of The Destiny Show Podcast. First up, I want to welcome my co-host, Shadow Price. How are you tonight? Hey, how are you tonight, Cornholio? I am very excited because having such an incredible figure on the podcast, I am so honored. And let's welcome... Rami Ismail, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We are so grateful for your time. And I know you're you're on the you're in the Netherlands. So you're in the time zone. Yeah, it is it is very late out here. Um by the time this is done, the sun might start rising, honestly. Uh, wow. but I'm a little I'm a little jet lagged and I have some work over on the on the west coast in a few days. So I thought, you know. Maybe we'll start adjusting time zones now. <laughs> then uh, I, I won't have to deal with the jet lag in a few days. Yeah. Absolutely. And you've been part of the gaming industry for quite some time now, haven't you? Yeah, it kind of depends on what you, de- what you define as industry. Like, if you ask, like, how long have I been working on programming and making games like i started when i was six but it was by accident i was really bad at it um i joined the industry sort of like informally back in uh 2015 and then uh joined the industry for uh no sorry in uh, 2005 wow wow 2005 time flies (laughs) yeah it goes fast and then uh started vlambeer my current studio back in 2010 very uh, cool. So yeah, it's a decade almost as Flambeer. Uh It's it's yeah, it's been quite a ride, honestly. It's uh, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that is so incredible. And for any of our listeners who don't know Rami, he is a seasoned video game industry veteran with over a decade of experience in games. He is part of 
he is half founder of Dutch studio Vlambeer, and he was responsible for creating games like Nuclear Throne, Super Crate Box, and the upcoming Ultra Bugs. In 2018, he also was the recipient of the Ambassador Award at GDC 2018, and he gave an incredible speech at that event that I've listened to about four times now. And He's such an inspiration, and we want to welcome Rami and thank him for being on with us tonight to share his incredible story. And, uh, yeah, introductions like that always make me feel like I have a lot to live up to. So <laughs> that's, uh, it's an interesting thing. I've I've been in a in a very uh, fortunate. I've had a very fortunate career, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, when when you hear your own story sort of like summarized like that, it's always a little overwhelming because you're kind of like, oh wow, okay, a lot did happen. <laughs> yeah, how I love how humble you are. Like you've had such incredible success in this industry, but yet you are one of the most humble people that I've met ever in this business, and I am so respectful of you. And, and how awesome you are as a human being. And you truly care about our industry. Yeah, I mean, this has been my life. Um, it's, it's been... It's been since I was six, right? It's, uh, it's been all my life I've wanted to make video games. And then, um, you know, for, for a large part of it, I was just curious. Like, I was just somebody who, who modified code who modified games to figure out how they worked and what I could do and how I could break them. Um, but, uh, you know, being part of this industry now and meeting all the heroes I had, the people I, I heard about when I was a kid, like that, that has been incredible. Um, and that, that has been such a, it's been such an honor to be part of this industry. Like the thing about the games industry is that nobody is here um, unless they really, really want to be here. Right, nobody is in the games industry unless they care, because there's better jobs with all the specialized like knowledge that people have. Um, so, so being in the games industry really means you care. And I've met so many game developers all over the world. Um, it's just been it's been such a um, it is such a humbling experience. It is it is meeting all of these people that give so much and care so much. Like there's there's no other way. To, to live through that and meet people that try so hard. Um, yeah, of course you're humbled. Like what, what else? <laughs> yeah. And we kind of got that idea like too, when we had Phil uh, Tabitsky on here, um, one of the creators of Octodad, like a few yeah. episodes ago. And yeah, it's just amazing. Like you guys are incredible. You, you know, your ideas and all the, you know, everything you give to the video game industry is just... Yeah. <laughs> Phil is an incredible developer as well. He's actually one of the people I uh, I used to play Destiny with a lot. Oh, cool. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he was an absolutely incredible guest on our podcast, and it was so awesome interviewing him and getting to learn about how he got started in, in the industry. And it's it's great. People like you and him really inspire us. And like for me... I I love video games. I I remember playing Duck Hunt with my parents and it's special moments like this that you just cherish and growing up playing Pokemon, playing so many different Nintendo games and Halo and Destiny now. It's it's so awesome to see how our industry has evolved over the years and 
I, I think video games are really the ultimate form of creative expression. They're, they're definitely one of the most interesting ones, right? Like it's it's every it's every medium ever sort of combined and then interactive. It's it's not just it's, it's an evolution. It's a it's a revolution. It's games are such a unique medium and they have such a unique place in in the pantheon of media that I don't know. I again like when you say that we inspire we we as developers inspire you um you as gamers are the point right that's that's the point the the point of making a game is the player it will always be the player and yeah of course we have we have our goals and we have our purposes and we have the things you want to achieve and the things you want to communicate and the things you want you to feel as a player but ultimately it always comes down to what does the player do right what does the player think what does the player feel um I feel that that cycle of like developers inspiring gamers and gamers being the point for developers, that is such a, it's, that is my favorite sort of like feedback cycle in this industry is when you get that enthusiasm from a community and you can feel that both uh, the players and creators are building each other up. And it's one of my favorite things to see whenever that happens. Um, It's just all inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking the same thing, the feedback, you know, that you give and get from each other is just incredible. Absolutely. And I actually have gotten several messages from listeners of our podcast and hearing people's feedback and having them say, hey, we love the show. Keep, keep, keep it up. It's so motivating and inspiring for me to actually see that people actually enjoy the content that we're putting out so I can in a small way relate to that uh just ever so slightly so rami how did you get started in the gaming industry how did it all begin for you it started when my dad got a computer um my dad got a computer and it was one of those ms dos computers and um I'm I'm Dutch, right? Like Dutch Egyptian, so I didn't speak any English. And we got this MS DOS computer, and all these commands are like English abbreviations, right? CD is change directory, and DIR was list directory, and um, there was there there was a lot that I didn't understand. But the word help in Dutch and in English is the same, so I I typed in help into the computer once, and I just got a bunch of things, and I just typed those, and then eventually, I found this program called QBasic. Um, and in QBasic was an example file, and an example file was called Gorillas. And Gorillas was uh, one of those, you know, Scorched, like the game where you had those two tanks across a field and you would enter a velocity and an angle and it would shoot under that velocity that and angle. I feel like everybody has played a game, has played a game like it. You basically just sort of like aim at the other player by like setting how hard you're going to shoot and how, what angle you're going to shoot. Um, there was a game like that, but with gorillas. And every time I wanted to play that game, because when I found that game, I obviously wanted to play it with my younger brother. Um, I'd have to load the code and then execute the code and then the game would run. And that was all very simple. But one day I just got very curious what all those words on my screen were and i started going through it and i found the text from the main menu right so i deleted that text and replaced it with my name and then when i ran the game again instead of the main menu it said my name 
And I thought that was the most fascinating thing, right? Like you change words and now the game is different. So I tried changing more words and then I tried changing more things and then I broke it and then I got a new copy and then I changed more things and I just kept doing that. That's, that's like, that's been my life from that point on. I've been a game developer um, because I've, I've just, every game I got, I wanted to mod, I wanted to break, I wanted to like figure out how to like get code into it, how it was made. Is there a map editor? Is there a level editor? Is there a unit editor? What is there? That's fascinating. Um, really cool. So it sounds like you've been really into the technical aspect of, of game development from a really early age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it, I, I'm a programmer, right? Like at at heart, I'm a programmer. I want to write code. I want to see what computers do. What I throw when I throw different things at it, right? Like I want to see what tricks I can do. I want to see what shortcuts I can I can take. Um, programming to me is magic, right? It's alchemy. Like we type words and those words get processed by this chip that is basically just silicon, right? It's just a silicon chip and electricity shoots through it in exactly the right way that it's doing all of these calculations and it lights up pixels on your screen exactly as you want it to and it makes sounds exactly as you want it to do and then it's it's a video game. Like that's mad, come on, that is oh mad. Like, there's no way to look at that and go like, no, that's, like we're literally, like this is the, when you look at your computer, it's dead. It's not a thing. It's 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 chips, and we shoot electricity through it in such a way that all this happens. Like programming is magic to me. Like I, I everything that has code in it, I want to I want to know about. Yeah, and it's it's incredible how far we've come to think that now you can pick up a Nintendo Switch and get this incredible gameplay experience that would never be possible before if you asked 10 years ago if video gaming would evolve to this point i, I would not think this would be possible and it's so incredible the amazing games that come out today whether it be on the switch or even other platforms as well yeah i mean that's the other thing that just it will never cease to it'll never cease to uh to stop amazing me just how fast things go and how um how good things are right like in every year in games at the end of the year i i tried to figure out what what was this year right what is the feeling of this year and the honest truth is every year so far it's been wow this was a ridiculous year for gaming um, last year was a ridiculous year for gaming. The year before was preposterous. That was unacceptable. That was too good. <laughs> yeah. Like 2017, like I was angry at the end of 2017 when I had to make my game of the year list. And I was like, every year, there's, like, so, there's just, yeah. What? So many good games. Like, I never thought of it the um, way, like, you, you know, broke it down. Yeah. Light shooting through chips and just displaying on your screen and everything like that. Like, you're right. It, it is magic. It's, it's, it's incredible how, you know, the industry has, like, advanced and everything you know it's yeah yeah and then on top of that right is design right and that's that's the thing i've been learning uh in this in this industry is like d designing stuff is also fascinating because now you're interfacing between this magical device and people's brains which are even more ridiculous mm -hmm. right 
Like these are these are like these high level fantasy machines in our head, um, that just work. Like one one thing I tell students, um, that one of the biggest traps is the thing that you can take what is in your head and put it in a computer, because it's just not how it works. Like when I tell you, okay, imagine a castle, right? And the castle is in the clouds, and in the castle is a dragon, and you're going to fight it, right? You see it? Can you see the castle? Can you see the clouds and the dragon? Can you see the, the oh, warrior that you're playing? Yeah. 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 Is it somebody like a knight or somebody or a wizard or something? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I never explained that, right? Like, but our brain is really good at filling that in. It's really good at just finishing this image. You see the stones in the castle. You see the the fluffiness of the clouds, or if they're dark, you see that like the thunder. When we program, we don't have any of that. If we tell a computer there's a wall here, the computers go like, "What's a wall?" You go like, "Well, it's made out of stones," and then the computer goes like, "What's a stone?" You're like, "Well, okay." It's just kind of like a box shape, and the player can't go through that. And it's like, "Oh, okay, I can do that." Um, but then we use that, we use that, this, this, all these smoke and mirrors to make your brain create that illusion again uh, in your head and that you fill in the details. And I, I, I don't know, I find all of this just fascinating. I can talk about it for, for hours, which is probably not what we should do. Um, but there's just so much. I keep, I keep reading books, I keep talking to people, I keep learning, and it just it never stops. It, it genuinely never stops. It almost feels like every single year the video game industry pushes boundaries above and beyond what they were able to achieve just the previous years. I mean, you have games like Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is absolutely amazing. It's it's a tribute to what Nintendo was able to achieve with the game. And for you to have such realistic mechanics where you can climb a mountain and there's rainfall and if it starts raining you have to stop or else you're going to fall off the mountain and it's little things like that that make such a incredible immersive experience for gamers like myself yeah and not only that the video game industry is not still is not very old it's still like it's only just a few like maybe three or four decades old, like, you know, like mainstream video games, like, you know. When you think about it, we're, we're just really not used to our heroes dying. That's how young we are. Like the, the, the pioneers of games are starting to pass away of old age now. Mm -hmm. That's like, it, it can't be more than 40 yeah. to 60 years old. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. And Rami, who inspired you to pursue a career in the video game industry? Fun, fun note. Um, it was two people. Um, the first one was my uh, my doctor. Um, when I was a kid, I was scared of needles, like injections. Um, and. I, I honestly, I'm still scared of needles. Um, and uh, the doctor knew that. 
Um, and, and, and he tried to distract me, right? He always tried to distract me with stories or questions or riddles. And like, I was curious kid, so I would always take those. And, and one time he tried to distract me by asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was raised in a Dutch Egyptian family and in, in Egyptian families, which is a, it's a poorer country, right? Like the, the sort of like expectation as a kid, if you're somewhat, um, if you're someone, if, if you're a smart kid, sort of the expectation is that you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or a disgrace to the family. That's kind of like your four options, right? And um, I, I, I told my doctor, well, you know, I, I really want to make video games. And I must have been like 11 or something. I really want to make video games. But uh, my dad says that I should do like a real job, like an important job, like you, you know, like be a doctor and make people healthy. And my doctor looked at me and he just kind of said like, and I remember this very well. He, he looked at me and he said, well, you know what? Keeping people happy is also very important, you know? So you know what? Here, we'll make a deal. I'll keep people healthy. And then you keep people happy when they are. I was like, that's a fair deal. I can do that. Um, so I, I like that. Um, I like that a lot. And I've sort of carried that with me as like, and over the years, I've learned more about why that might be true. Um, so that was one. And then the other one was my elementary school teacher. Um, he very quickly realized that I was not, well, I mean, I was an annoying kid for sure. Um, I was just not trying to be annoying. I was just bored a lot, right? Like the things that I found interesting were not the same things that school found interesting was not the same thing that the other school kids found interesting. So I just kind of was annoying. And, and most of the times I never really fit in and, um, my elementary school teacher decided to to start two initiatives to um, to deal with that. And the first one was he started a chess club. Um, <coughs> just a just a chess club, uh, and he would get the kids to play chess. Um, and then the second thing is he started a computer club. And I joined both and through computer club, I used to learn about like different video games that I could play, but also like just how to operate a computer. And, um, and through the chess club, I learned about games. It's actually where I learned that games are rules that you can play with rules and that you can adjust the rules. Um, and that was those two, those two things combined, like, um, they sort of like instilled in me sort of the base seed in, of what would turn into me wanting to be a designer later on, right? I, I loved taking the chessboard and just putting the pieces in different configurations or like telling the kid that I was playing with that the, the pawns could now move three steps, right? Like stuff like That's that. That's really fascinating. And it's really interesting that you had inspirational figures in your life from a very early age who pushed you into something so awesome and special to foster your creative desires and your abilities as a game de developer. Yeah, I th so I hate quoting, I, <laughs> I really hate quoting famous people, but um, I think it was Steve Jobs 
you said that you can only connect the dots in hindsight. And I think that's very true. Like every life has like these, these small touches from, from strangers or from, um, from people that are not like a main part of your life, but that kind of like nudge life in a direction. Right. And, um, and those people often are not intentionally pushing you in a direction, but when you find back, it's when you, when you look back, you go like, Oh, right. That's what like my elementary school teacher didn't want me to be a game designer. And my doctor didn't really like, he, he was just trying to be supportive and distract me. Right. But those two things somehow got stuck. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that's, I, I always find that fun. Like it's also. Firing game designers around the world is that for me, these are very small interactions, but for some of them, they might be very meaningful and like have like a major impact on their life. Right. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I always feel like if you, if you end up having an opportunity to talk to a, a young game designer or a kid that wants to make games, that you have to just be the best version of you that you can be, because this, this might be a thing that steers their life. That's really interesting. Wow. And what are some of the challenges that you faced in your gaming career over the course of the last decade and a half that you've been working on video games? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always so many. Like, game development is challenging. Um, it's, not an, it's not an easy job. Uh, and it's not, it's not a job that is... It's not a job that I would recommend, per se. Right? Uh, it's a job that you have to care for. And in fact, uh, I always... When my kids say, should I go into game development? I always answer that the only... Re the, I, will never say, I will never answer that question with yes. Right? I will never say you should be a game developer. You should only be a game developer if when I say no, you're still going to do it. That's when you should be in games. Uh, so I always say no, don't be a game developer. Be a game developer is if no matter what I say, you will still go make games. Um, because that's, that's what the games industry is. It's, it's, it's not an easy industry. And it's an industry that it deals with a lot of issues, deals with a lot of thankfulness, but also thanklessness deals with a lot of support, but also toxicity, deals with a lot of structure, but also chaos, deals with a lot of creativity, but also money. Like it's an industry of contradictions. Every piece of knowledge that you might learn is going to be outdated in the next six to 12 months, right? Uh, every truth that you know about how things work and what stores sell and what systems are good, um, all that is going to be gone in like a year uh, at most. And I think I, I dealt with very similar challenges. Like I, I was, interestingly, when I started, uh, it was very young in the indie scene. It was 2009, 2010. And back then, indie was very much a counterculture. So, so a lot of what the indies were doing back then was just being anti-AAA, right? We wanted to make more creative games, less formulaic games, and, and just like kind of do like a big... Um, make a big gesture, right? So the games were smart, uh, they were small, they were chaotic, they were not very polished. They had soul. Uh, that was all they had. And, and um, I came in and I had, I have this, this very strong um, feeling from my dad, from the, the doctor, engineer, lawyer thing, that if I do something, it should also be able to pay for my family, right? 
um, you know, if I grow up to, to have a family, I want to be able to pay for rent. I want to be able to pay for food. And so I came in very, um, very business minded for an independent developer. And that at the start, that was actually really rough because a lot of people just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want indie development to be about money because triple A development is about money. Indie development is about art, right? And it took a few years before people started turning on that one. Uh, mostly because all these kids that were being independent developers suddenly expenses. <laughs> so they suddenly needed money and they were like, oh wait, maybe what Rami is saying is actually not out of an idea. Um, that was an interesting moment. Um, it was actually because another developer, one of the developers of Hotline Miami, did a speech in which he just openly admitted that, hey, folks, like I know we've been doing this thing for art, but also wouldn't it be nice to be able to pay for rent? Everybody's kind of like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's true. That might be nice. Um, and then after that, I think my biggest challenges have, have always been that. So I like, I like to help, right? It's, it's a big part of, of who I am. I, I have this amazing platform that I've been granted by hundreds of thousands of game developers around the world in which I can talk to the games industry. And it's not the entire games industry because the games industry as a whole is huge, but like the, a reasonably large part of the games industry sees the things I say and, um, and listens to things I say, even though they might not agree with it. And I, I've been trying to use that to the best of my ability to try and do good, to make the industry stronger, to make it more inclusive, to make it more accessible, to make it more positive, to be, make it more transparent, right? Um, so I have, I have a very strict, like, no-nonsense. Like, if, if I'm going to talk about something, I'm going to give people the full story, even though that might not be something I like. I'm still going to explain why things are as the way they are. And the thing I realized about helping is that one of the downsides of helping is that if you help somebody, you're automatically not helping everybody else, right? If, if you can pick three people that will get a grant to go to a thing. That means that all the other people that applied are people that you've now not picked. And that's, that's a feeling that took me a lot of time to sort of be okay with that. I can choose between helping a few people or helping nobody at all, but there's no way to help everybody. And I don't know, that's been, that's been a, a surprising challenge because if you're somebody who's used to just try and do good all the time, realizing that all good comes with a flip side is not something you want to hear or want to admit, right? And, uh, and, and here we are, and I had to come to terms with that. And obviously, just the game development challenges, computers break, <laughs> <laughs> Publisher, publishers go out of business, yeah. uh, major drama, last minute changes, like the trash fires of the games industry. Like I've been through all of those, but I think those two have sort of been my defining issues over the last few years. It's a very interesting perspective. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, competition is, is quite, quite insane right now in the video game industry too. It's just, there's so many different developers out there making so many different games and so many walks of life and so many genres. And it's, it's, uh, it's very, very yeah, so many incredible sure. games that you really want to play, but you have to like pick and choose the limited time that you have to play games, what you're going to play. So it's always a challenge for me because Serious I have problem. <laughs> all, all these different consoles and I appreciate and respect, but yet I don't have the time to play all these games and I want to. I have such a backlog. Me and Shadow will agree yes. on that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, I'm the same. I want to play everything, right? I want to play every game, they're, they're, like, even the bad games. I love bad games. Bad games are some of my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, because there's so much to learn. Like, I feel like, so there's two types of bad games. One, right? There's the one wrong. And just despite everybody's best intent and starting with a good idea, it turned into a bad game, which happens, right? Yeah. But then the more fascinating bad games are the games that try to do something else and kind of succeeded at it, right? You could kind of see what they were getting at, but it just didn't quite nail it. And because it's new and weird and unexpected uh, and it's not perfectly executed, people just don't like it. And I love those games, like Alpha Protocol, Binary Domain, Earth Defense Force, uh, Ace Combat, like that sort of like range of like semi-broken, um, semi-broken games is, is some of my favorite because you play them and you just go like, oh, wow, okay, that's what they were trying? That's dumb. <laughs> that's never going to work. And then you play it and you're like, ah, oh, they got pretty close, actually. <laughs> Not quite there, but... Um, and I always find that interesting. Like, there's some of my favorite games. But I actually just booted up uh, Earth Defense Force Iron Rain um, before we started recording this podcast because it is one of my favorite game series in the world. Where are you going? But um, it's it's shooting big ass yeah. already, and I'm, I'm very excited. To I, shoot I heard about ass. that game. I might give that a, a look sometime too because I, I've been always interested in it because I always hear about it, like from other different outlets and, and things like that. And I like think think of it this way: you you know, like imagine there's a 14 year old kid who really just watched their first like somehow they ended up watching Starship Troop. Mm-hmm. And then also they got like this team of super talented PlayStation 2 developers that would just listen to whatever the kid says. Now imagine the game that kid would make, and that's our defense. That's interesting, yeah. It's very pure. It's very genuine. It's You fight big ants and robots and UFOs and motherships and wasps and I don't know what. There's tons of voice dialogue, but like mostly you're just fighting 700 ants and 30 robots that are leveling a city as you're shooting your 17 barrel rocket. That launcher. sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> it is the most fun. It is ju- it is just it is pure fun. There's nothing yeah. else. In it. It's just I think I know what the next game fun. I'm picking it's up good will be. I think you've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Let me know what you think. When yeah, you definitely. <laughs> we like shooting a lot, uh, big things a lot. So, you know, coming from <laughs> Destiny and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, Destiny has said that. Like, the thing that I always made, the thing that upsets me about Destiny games most is that their gun feel oh is so good that any other, any other shooter game automatically doesn't right? feel like a bungee game. And it's, it's so annoying. You're just like, oh, this shotgun is pretty good, but I bet if Bungie made it. He's so right. You're so uh, right, Rami. Like me and yeah. me and Corn, we always yeah. we always do this. We do the same. Like, oh, this is cool, but it don't feel like Destiny. <laughs> it doesn't feel yeah. like Bungie. <laughs> yeah. you, the the thing that got me about Destiny, I remember the first time the beta for Destiny One, and. Um, and the thing I remember is so, so at Vlambeer, at my studio, we're very game 
right? The way a game feels to play, the way you press a button, the thing it does, the like impact an enemy has when it gets hit by a bullet, the way the guns feel, the way the screen shakes. We, we care about that a lot. And the thing that got me about Destiny is I realized I've been playing it for a week throughout the beta, and then I realized that I can just I can just make the double jump motion with my thumb, even if I'm not holding a controller, right? The double jump is so perfect, it is so smooth, and it's so intuitive mm-hmm. that it's just it I it's the most perfectly balanced. about which double jump is best and which double jump is better and which class is the better but like just when you think of that double jump and you just go like okay you press the button and then it, you know i'm a, i'm titan so you you know the tempo at which you press right. the button again like that feeling is phenomenal it's per like every double jump in destiny it feels it feels nice to execute even if you know you might yell at being a hunter that can't make this specific jump unless you do the triple thing or whatever, you know, yeah. like whatever, whatever you're complaining <laughs> with your classes. Uh, I, I always feel like the double jump in destiny always feels good. And that's I've been, I've honestly, I would love to see another game get that as good as destiny. Maybe Titanfall got it pretty right. Titanfall two, but beyond that, like there's no game that has a double jump like destiny. That's a very good point for sure. Yeah. I think, I think destiny has, the best shooting mechanics of any games and that's what keeps us coming back to destiny despite its imperfections because it's not a perfect game but the things they do right draw you in so much that you're immersed in the experience and there's no better experience than shooting a gun in destiny and i think we talked about it before (laughs) where a weapon in destiny feels so special where you have a really strong attachment to that weapon The Icebreaker, Fatebringer, Vision of Confluence. Stories, honestly, I spent forever trying to get a Galahorn, and and then one day I found two in a row. (laughs) Right? And I was so excited. And guess what? Xura sold the next day for the first time ever. Yep. Yep. It was the first time, the first time Xura sold the day after I found two. Uh, my first two now, was that, yeah, that was, was that pretty, before the rise of iron came out or was that in the second week of like, the game being out i think it was before oh, the, the taking King, King, right. if i'm not mistaken yeah it was it was halfway through destiny one i think yeah um no my my weapon of choice is telesto it's always been telesto as soon as i got my first telesto i've, I've always run combo it's a uh, scout rifle for main <laughs> and then uh, for primary uh, and then um, or nowadays I guess kinetic and then uh, a telesto in energy and then a rock launcher or machine gun in heavy that's always been my loadout I just know I, I just don't know why but I think it's the difference between like the oof like the the, the, the punch of a scout rifle and the like needle the needler esque yeah. like floatiness of the telesto and then just like the slow satisfying like mm-hmm. of a rocket launcher like it's it feels like a symphony a little like it makes me very happy to just be able to go through that yeah i was a big fan of the needler from halo myself so i i i can yeah. i can relate for sure <laughs> 
Now, out of curiosity, Rami, what's your favorite Halo game? Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Um, it's gonna be ODST, I think. Um, it's ODST or Halo 2. Oh, yeah. Um, it's Halo 2 because the way that it dual wield <laughs> was so interesting and so weird mm-hmm. and so different. Um, and I just remember, like, having to deal with that, like, uh, like, oh, I can do two guns at once. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, like, what, what? And then just realizing all the combinations you could do. And it was just such a, it was such a cool thing. Uh, and just sort of, like, the opening sequence was, was super good. And, like, the ending was kind of bad, but, like, hey, um, whatever. <laughs> uh, Halo 3 made it made it work well in the end and then you obviously had um after halo 3 you had odst they had reach which was also really good but i think the thing i liked about odst is it did a really good job of taking sort of like the halo universe and expanding on it in a way that was just sort of unexpected yeah spartans are cool right but odsts are not spartan and maybe that makes them cooler these are just people like they're just dropping into hell over and over again because it's the it's the right thing to do it's the fight that needs to be fought and they're not like set up with like the best armor and like the best shields and like all this super super classified access you're just like doing this weird detective story um and i just i don't know like i remember odst and the sort of jazz soundtrack you know like it was a lot about ODST I really loved. I've I've sort of like I I really respect three for three for ch- taking on that mantle. Uh, I have to I have to admit that I've not been as big a fan of the later Halos as some of the earlier ones. But I, I do feel that Bungie at the start also really needed to uh, to figure out where they were going with it, and I gave them two games the time to figure it out. So I'm I'm giving three for three the exact same, mm-hmm. right? Like. Halo, Halo 2 was good by accident, I feel, and Halo 3 was good. Um, so maybe maybe, maybe they will get Halo 6, I guess, Infinity, whatever is next. Like, they'll get it right. The PC, and me personally, I'm so excited about that because being able to play video games on the PC, it's so game-changing. Like, you're not hampered by hardware. There's no limitations you can fly and there's no other medium that can give you that incredible feeling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't, yeah. Like we've been, we've talked about like my games, me, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why I think games are such a powerful medium, but you know, in the end it comes down to some of my best memories are in games. Right. Like, I think that's what matters most in the end is not like the way, like, yeah, the way they're built is important to me. And yeah, the, the community is important to me. And yeah, the games are important to me. But ultimately, like, some of my life's best memories are game-related memories, are things that didn't happen in real life, but they happened in video games. And um, I was in Washington, D.C. for the first time in my life the other day, right? I'd never been there. I was doing a project for the Congress of Library, uh, the Library of Congress, sorry. And um, and it was this amazing experience that I was driving through Washington, D.C. and just trying to like 
something felt very familiar about it, but I've never been there. And then I realized that I played this mission in Call of mm. Duty called Off Their Own Accord. And it's one of sort of like the climatic uh, yeah. battles in Call of Duty Modern Warfare one, 2. Yeah. And it takes place entirely in Washington. It's the helicopter mission where you, you take off and music kicks in as you like rise over, um, over I think, the Senate building. And then the helicopter crashes. And it's this... This mission that gives you a really good overview of what Washington kind of looks like, even though it was like very polygonal and like mm -hmm. low, low rest textures, like in hindsight. Um, but it's weird that I had like, I had memories in Washington, even though I'd never been in Washington, D.C. That I feel that's sort of the magic of games is we, when you play a game, you suspend your disbelief and you just accept that what is happening is true, right? It's kind of a, a requirement for a game. You you now believe that you are this character, uh, which means that if your health is low, you believe you're about to die. And yes, death in a game is different, but there's still the like, oh, I need to take cover. And there's still like the panic response. There's still the like, oh, what's happening? There's still like the connection with your main character. If it's a story game, there's still a connection with the world. If it's an environmental game, like we have to accept that what's in a game is true, which means that we... Also accept that the memories we get from games are true. Just on a subconscious level, like, right? And, and, and we understand that game memories aren't real. But at the same time, they are, right? The friends you make in games are real. The memories you take from games are real. The stories you take from games are real. So I think for me, that, that sort of defines why games are important. Like, these things happen to me, even though I was sitting on my couch. That's, That's really fascinating. Now, what would you say defines a great? I think a great video game is something that you go into and then you come out of it. And when you come out of it, you're, you're a different, you're a little bit different, right? You've, you've taken away something. You've taken away like a skill. You've taken away a story. You've taken away a perspective or a lesson or a thought that you hadn't had before. And I think that that honestly to me is is fascinating. Are you play Papers Please? Did you play Papers Please? That's one that I have not played. You should I play, not play Papers that. Please. It's a game that is very much about. So I'm just gonna spoil the entire game, sadly. But um, so if if you if you want to play Papers, <laughs> put put fingers in your ears while I talk, and I'll just I'll just ping somewhere. Uh, but the basic idea of, of Paper Space is you play a border guard that just stamps people's passports. Right? That's it. That's the entire game. You, you get a passport. You have rules. Every day, the rules get more complicated. And at the end of the day, you get money for each passport that you've stamped. And if you get too many stamps wrong, you reject too many people that shouldn't be rejected. Or if you let in people that shouldn't have been let in, uh, you get in trouble with your boss. And if you get too much in trouble, you get fired and the game is over. Now... It starts very simple. You just you check if the name is correct, you check if the gender is correct, and uh, you check if what they tell you is correct. And if you see any contradiction, you click on the two pieces of information that are contradicting, and then you can ask about that, right? And then based on, on your feeling, you're going to not. So the start is very simple because you go like, okay, your name is right, you're, you're, the amount of stay is right, like blah, blah, okay, this is all fine. Put the green stamp, put the red stamp, next person. And the more passports you stamp, the more money you make. So at the start, you make quite some money. And then at the end of the day, you get to see whether you are okay, whether your daughter is okay, whether your uncle is okay, and whether, I don't know what the fourth character was, is okay. Um, 
And then you go to work again. And now there's a few more rules, right? Like, oh, this country, the political situation got worse. So here's an extra rule. People from this country need this additional check. So now to make the same amount of money, you need to do faster work, right? Because it's still per passport that you stamp, per passport that you process, you get paid. So now it's a little harder. And then the game just keeps escalating until eventually you can't really pay for things anymore, right? Your uncle is getting sick. Your daughter is hungry. And now this person shows up and kind of goes like, hey, if you let through this person with this name tomorrow, I'll slip you a hundred. Right? It's kind of like, oh, I wouldn't do that. That's corrupt. Obviously, that's not, I'm not good. No, that's wrong. Yeah. And, and you don't you have do some moral right? you don't, choices you don't that you have to make. It's not worth it. And then you go yeah. home and your daughter is like really hungry and your uncle looks like he might be dying. And then you go to work the next day and then this person shows up again. And they're like, hey, we want to make you the same offer, but 200 a day. They're like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And it's the game. That- <laughs> No, is there it's any entire, voice acting text. in that game? But the thing, is, the thing is, you just oh, you just kind of okay. sit there, and and suddenly you're playing, and you're corrupt, and now you're worried about your boss finding out. So you're going to take this other bribe because otherwise they're going to tell your boss, and now they kind of control you because they can make your life hell, but they also say they won't. And can you trust them? And is the resistance actually right, or are they, and you're just sitting there being like, wait, what is happening? I was. So you get this interesting story told to you through the environmental, like yeah, and you're and literally just sitting like there, stamping passports, right? And the mechanics and the world gives you this story, in which somehow you end up being a corrupt border guard. And I was just sitting there at some point, and I'm like, I'm not a corrupt. Am I a bad person? I'm not a bad person. I was just trying to make my <laughs> uncle be. Oh, wow. and I'm like, oh, that's how that works. That's it's, that's that's, that's really, really interesting cool. game. Yeah. It almost reminds me of this game that I played a while back. It's called L.A. Noir. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, yeah. but the decisions that you. game, So your interactions with the different characters in the game will affect how they treat you and how the game will ultimately unfold. Yeah. Also, kind of like yeah, like the Telltale, Telltale games, games that's a great like example. you know, Walking Dead yeah. games. I'm uh, I'm always a little sad like of that. how uh, L.A. Noir ended up. Uh, Team Bondi was an interesting game development studio, uh, but they got they they uh, they didn't make it. I think after L.A. Noir, it uh, they closed down because um, they couldn't they couldn't stay they couldn't keep funding or something. <laughs> But yeah, Alain Noir was a fascinating yeah. game. Yeah, it was I just really a good. It was a good experiment. I think after that, we David Cage sort of, um, you know, um, uh, Heavy Rain and with Heavy uh, Rain, uh, most recently Detroit. Yeah. They're interesting games, but I always wish somebody else wrote them. I feel like uh, I mean, David Cage is a, mm-hmm. he's clearly a gifted uh, gifted director, and even though there's been controversies about how he works his teams. Um, you know, I, I'm a strong believer that we should minimize crunch in our industry. But I, I just wish that the characters were different between the games. Like it feels like I'm always playing like a cop, a rebel, and a woman. That's sort of the three characters he writes. And I'm just I I wish there would be something else. 
Yeah, the thing I liked about L.A. Noir too, like, was just like, yeah, the decisions and just like the crime uh, drama aspect and the uh, the technology they used at the time was like mm-hmm. uh, groundbreaking. Yeah, you have to like look for people's faces, expressions like, and whether they were nervous and stuff. Yeah, I I think that was a really interesting element in that game, and I don't know if you guys got a chance to play that game on the Switch, but the game is so awesome on the Nintendo Switch, and I'm still blown away that. Nintendo was able to bring us such an incredible experience in such a portable form factor. I bought it. I haven't played it yet on the Switch. Now, I know you mentioned the unfortunate aspects of the gaming industry where some game developers don't make it. And I know that especially in the last, I would say, three, four months, there has been so much going on with not only game developers, but also publishers like EA and Activision and with the troubles that companies like BioWare are going through with Anthem. And then you also have other studios that were shut down by um, bigger publishers. What are your thoughts on the overall state of our industry regarding how publishers treat game developers and how... Oh, this is a way bigger issue than that. Uh, this entire industry is under incredible pressure right now. Like, this is not the publisher's fault by it, per se. Like, here's here's what's happening. The base idea, the base problem right now is three different. First thing is, it is less and less profitable to make a game that has an ending, right? So, making a game that keeps going, sort of like the Destiny model or um, uh, the World of Warcraft model or Minecraft games that are infinite, that they are creative or online or episodic, um, or can work well with DLCs that expand in the future. Those games do really well. Now, those games fit an open world structure more than they fit a linear structure. So, what you're seeing is, unless you're a first party studio, right, unless you are paid by Sony or you are literally Rockstar or CD Project, who are just extremely known for those kind of projects you should probably not make games like that then everybody goes like what about spider-man spider-man was basically a sony game right like it was insomniac in collaboration with sony uh or god of war was a sony game amazing game. So this is number one people people um the current structure of of how people spend money on games is they spend less and less money on buying games but they spend a ton of money on in-app purchases Right, Fortnite makes more money than any other game in the world right now, and that's—I mean—that's on PC, but on mobile, there's a ton of games like that that make more money than the average AAA game. Right, so it's clearly not profitable to make big single-player games. Yes, you might get one right, but the the risks are higher than having a game that you can fix and update over time. Right. So number two, with that comes that people are playing fewer games for a longer time because if you're playing fortnite or you're playing or you're playing dota or you're playing minecraft or you're playing destiny or you're playing any of these uh big infinite games chances are you're not really playing much else right a lot of people kind of play one or two games uh sort of like full-time a lot of like sort of like the core audience plays one two games full-time and then has a bunch of other games they just kind of go like oh i'm interested in this i'll give it a go um and then the largest part of the game audience just kind of plays one game. They play Fortnite, they play League, they play FIFA, they play Forza, 
Um, that's that's kind of what they play. They don't really play anything else. And we've seen a larger and larger group of our audience do that. So, okay, so we're also making less money there. But the final problem is um, the way big companies get funded, right? So big companies, unlike a lot of indies, a lot, unlike a lot of developers, usually have a board or stockholders, and they are beholden to these stockholders. They need to make sure that the company performs well so that these people that are basically gambling with big studios' performances will make more money. That's a messed up system, and we would do well to get rid of it, but at the same time, that's the system we have right now. So here's the problem. We're making less money unless we make infinite games, which means we should probably make infinite games if you're a big studio because it means that your stockholders will be happy, right? Now, no matter what you do, you're not going to make as much money as Fortnite or Minecraft. So despite hitting record numbers like Blizzard did or Ubi did, I forgot which one did. Uh, I think it was Blizzard. Uh, despite hitting record numbers, they're still falling under expectations because what the stockholders want to hear is we made the next Fortnite. Uh, you didn't make the next Fortnite. So the stockholders are going to be disappointed. Your stock's going to take a hit. The hit's going to affect the bottom line. The bottom line you know, going to be tight for what you have. So you're going to fire some people. Because when you fire like a few hundred people, that actually pleases the stockholders because now they're making more money again. That's basically what happened over and over. So it's a combination of like the way people buy games, the way we market games through Twitch, uh, Infinite Games perform better on Twitch, and the way we're funded. But there's not really a way out. There's not a solution here. There's, there's, there's no like, oh yeah, just, right? oh, just make big single player games. No, that's a bad idea. Oh, just ignore the stockholders. Well, you can't do that because they'll literally just remove you from they'll remove you from power. They can do that, right? So I think a lot of the games industry is just trying the best they can with what they have, and you see a lot of desperate moves, right? Like uh, you see a lot of studios pivoting to games as a service, and they're not good at games as a service, right? They're they're trying to learn as they go. You're seeing a lot of like companies trying the free-to-play model, uh, but then not quite working it out, or the audience doesn't like free-to-play. But like we have to earn money somehow. I don't like it. I don't like any of it. I don't like the free-to-play stuff. I don't like microtransactions. I don't like the. I don't generally don't like the infinite big games, the open world. So like I, I generally don't like it. But hey, honestly, we we have an industry. People need food. They need rent. Like of course they're gonna try. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people don't realize who criticize video games for including microtransactions that it costs a lot to build a video game. And if you think about it, the cost of video games haven't really increased in the last decade or two. Because I remember when I bought a game for the Super Nintendo for fifty dollars, and yeah, you know we're, we're I paying when I bought 50, one for sixty dollars for games today, but or even less oh, now. Not. Yeah, people pay to people buy their games and sales. I wonder if part of the issue is the fact that mobile gaming was introduced and it became such a popular thing that our society has become more casual when it comes to gaming. So the revenue streams kind of changed from big immersive single player games to smaller games that you can consume in bite-sized forms. I think I think I think there's separate audiences though. Like I think one of the cool things about mobile is that there's no hardcore gamer that went like games though, right? 
Like the hardcore audience is still there. It's just that they are having the same behavior as players. And a lot of a lot of hardcore games will go like, absolutely not. I never pay for in-app purchase. But like you know, these companies don't make decisions without numbers. Right? If it's not gonna if it's not gonna sell, they're not gonna do mm-hmm. it. But despite like all the backlash, these these games perform way better with free to play than they prefer perform as a single purchase because people buy them in a sale like six months after release, and then they that's that's it done. Now you made like twelve euros on a game that cost you like two hundred million dollars to make. Uh, twelve dollars on a game that may cost you two hundred million to make. Like it's just not sustainable. The, th- the way things are right now are. It's just not sustainable. And again, like I'm not a fan of this right now. But if if I had better solutions, I would give you. I give you examples. I don't have any. People go make better games, and I always go like, "What do you think we're trying to do?" Like, none of us are sitting here going like, "You know what we need to do? We need to make a really bad game." That's it. That's that's the ticket right there. We're gonna make some money by making. Everybody's trying to make a. Would you say that platforms like Steam and Xbox Mm -hmm. and PlayStation are making it kind of more difficult for game developers to make a living because they're maybe taking a too large of a percentage of the cut? I mean, that's also pressure on us, right? Like 30% of our sales. Um, And that's not if if you don't have a publisher, right? If you have a publisher, the publisher also takes a cut. Um, and if you're doing uh, physical, then the stores will take a cut. Like, there's not that much money that stays from uh, a game purchase in general. Um, but I don't think that's the main issue. I think the main issue is how do we play games? How do we consume games? And in the end, game developers are going to make what people play, what people pay for, right? That That's the whole full story. So if people don't like what developers are making, then that says something about what like either there's like a disconnect between what people expect games to be and what people are actually doing in games or there's a disconnect between what the numbers say and what people say they do either way like something isn't right right like (laughs) it's not it's not like fortnite is making more money because what they're doing is hated the people are like well it's more casual players they're like yeah but that isn't that exactly the point as many people loving games as possible and then also developers making money. I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's just the mass appeal too. Yeah. There's a lot of children that play Fortnite and everything too, along with the adults as well. And you know, those children are also asking their you know mother and father for the for credit card to you know buy the microtransactions and things like that. So you like you said, yeah, they're the most profitable company when it comes to yeah. like. The like, uh, it's hard. Like, like so here's so. the thing: when when you see a single player game, a game, when when you see a bunch of microtransactions in a game, a lot of people go like, "Oh, look okay. at this! They put micro." You know how hard some person fought to make it just that many microtransactions. Like, there's somebody in this chain of this this decision making in this game that had to go up to the stockholders and go like, "Okay, listen." Fortnite makes infinite money. All these mobile games make infinite money. Uh, all these games with microtransactions, like Apex Legends and all of them, they make infinite money, right? Like all these games make infinite money. Instead, we're going to sell this game for $60 and not make any more money. That's the sell they have to make. And somehow 
they come out with okay you can do it for sixty dollars but they're like we want like one we want like a something of a visual thing that people can buy like hats or something and then the designer go the the creatively goes like uh okay we'll do the we'll do the stupid hats but then we don't want anything else and then the stockholders go like okay we won't we won't try for Fortnite money. Like, you know how hard to fight that is? Can you, like, if you had to convince somebody of like, here's a bag of attention, but also you could also choose for like this $20 bill. Would uh, unionizing this, help out at all? Uh, it will help in many like, ways. It'll give the developers mm -hmm. a stronger voice. It'll allow us to make sure we have better conditions. It'll make sure that we protect our health better. It'll make sure that bonuses are, are distributed more fairly. It'll it'll help in infinite ways. Yeah, job not, security, not stability, but like as well. Again, right? like it won't stop layoffs. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not gonna stop us from having to worry about having a job after our next game. Like what it's gonna do is make sure that when we get laid or uh, when we end up having to find a new job, that at least the conditions for that are fair. Right, that we don't wake up and go to the office, and then when we get to the office, we're locked out from the building, and we can't even reach our computer. We can't save anything for our portfolio. We're not allowed to like log out and say goodbye. It's just like doors are locked. Sorry, get out. Right, we don't get escorted out of the building out of nowhere by a security guard because those are things that happen. A lot of game developers are under something in the U.S. called at will employment. That's pretty unique to the U.S. But it just basically means that they can fire you at any given time. Um, and then you just, you're done. You leave. Uh, and there's no, there's no real good severance or anything. Like unionizing will help us with that. But it won't help us with the forces that are, that are acting on this industry because they're not a publisher problem. Like the publishers are not the problem here. The, pro the problem with the current situation is everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Right, the gamers are looking for the best deal possible for the best game possible. That's exactly what they should do. And they should look for games that don't try to milk them for money. They should look for games that give them a lot of value for their for their dollar. They should look for games to play with their friends as long as they want, right? That's what the audience should do, and they're doing that. Developers should make games that will perform well in the industry that they can get funded by publishers and that ultimately will lead to them being able to survive for another game, right? Make more games to be able to pay for their developers. And the publishers need to make sure that their stockholders are happy. So they need to make sure that whatever they do, whatever investment they make, they're going to get the maximum return. Now, if the publishers don't do that, they won't have money to fund games. So if the publishers don't do all the, the, the bad stuff that they're currently doing, then likely there won't be money to invest in games. And then a lot of people go like, well, look at these these directors getting all these bonuses, like, hey, I don't understand it either, right? I've, I would be like, the way this has been explained to me is that these people uh, at the top of companies have like some sort of like, it's, it's nonsense, like give them less money. Like I agree, but that's really not gonna save the problem because the problem remains the same. We're still gonna have to convince the people funding the game that this is a good investment. So the publishers are doing what they're supposed to, which is they're only investing in games that will make maximum profit transactions, infinite games. Developers are making the games they can get funded because if they're not making games, they're going out of business and then 300 people lose their job. And gamers don't want any of it. But they still pay for it, apparently. That's really interesting. Now, do you think that mediums like yeah, Kickstarter that's... would 
ease that transition where maybe you may not need that publisher support as much if you have platforms where the players fund the project themselves? We really hope that was the case in like 2013, 2014, but it turns out that one of the, despite the audience's best intents, right? One thing that we have to admit about publishers is that they're usually very smart about how a game gets published. They know that story. They know that when a developer comes to them with a pitch, that the final game might not look exactly like the pitch. I mean, Destiny, I think pretty famously started as not a first-person sci-fi shooter, right? Yeah, it was a fantasy game. It was more fantasy. It was third-person. Yeah. And then apparently somebody internally just went like, yo, we have nobody here that's good at fantasy. We have nobody here that can do third-person cameras. We've done first-person for forever. We're good at it. What are we doing? But the game, the game that they pitched to Activision Blizzard for like, what was it, $500 million? Can you imagine? People go like, oh, the publishers don't take risks. You know how big a risk Destiny must have been? Because... Oh, Imagine the studio that does oh, right. Halo comes to you and they go like, we want to make a game with you. And you go like, cool. Are you going to make a Halo game? And they're like, no, 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 not Halo. It's like, what? huh? Like, okay, so, so what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know. Like, does the audience like Bungie or does the audience? We don't know. Probably, probably both. Hopefully both. We're not sure. But, all right, let's, let, hear me out. So Halo is this big sci-fi thing, right? You're like, yeah. And they're like, okay. So it's not sci-fi. It's fancy. You're like, what? Uh, and we're super good at first-person games, so we're going to do third-person. It's like, but what? And it's like, okay. And, and imagine it's like an MMO, but not quite. It's like sort of an MMO. It's like an always online. And they're like, no, 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 no. Three people. You're like, well, but isn't World of Warcraft like 60? Like, rates are 60? And they're like, no, no, we'll do rates. It's like six people. It's like, wait, so you're playing with three. And then sometimes you're playing with six. That's it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it's like first person. And nobody has really done that probably before. So it's like a first person pseudo MMO fantasy game by the people that made sci-fi shooters. Oh, and also, we're going to take 10 years. (laughs) And it's $500 million. Somebody sat there and went like, you know what? We're going to yeah. sign this. Yeah. Here's the 500 million. Go, go, make, Gabe, go make your fantasy. <laughs> I, like, I would not do that. If I had to make the choice to fund Destiny, I probably would not have funded that. Like, and I love Destiny. One of my favorite games ever made. But like, when you think about what that pitch must have been like, like somebody had a lot of courage down there in Activision Blizzard. Just got like, you know what? I could probably justify this to my bosses. Well, <laughs> I guess that would be that would have been um, what Jason Jones and uh, yeah, whoever yeah. else was with him at the time. Large, at least it took thing. Marty with him um, for that one. But so, yeah, I mean, good music. Yeah, yeah, and that that it got, it got messy. It got messy between yeah, Marty and Joseph Staten. And, I don't you know. I still just, don't have like, the full details yeah. of what happened there, but it sounded like a mess. Yeah, like it, it was just they didn't like what Joseph wrote because they said it was too linear. Like, just like you said, the problem that we have in the industry right now, people want these ongoing games that don't end and things like that. 
you know, publishers want that because, or our stockholders want it because yeah. it's going to make the most money and everything like in the long run. And it's, and it's so interesting that you bring up the perspective of being a publisher, because I think that especially in destiny, Activision got a lot of heat for a lot of different things. And people don't really think about, you know, a publisher having to spend $500 million on a project and take such yeah, a it was huge. I big mean, risk. And it's a consideration that we often don't really take into account. So that's really interesting for you to bring this up because I didn't consider this yeah, as a I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, like, right? Like I said, it doesn't, like, it doesn't justify anything, but it's, this is the perspective the publisher has. Right? They're looking at this thing and they're like, we spent $500 million on this. We're going to have to make money to justify that 500 million dollars and we don't have to make 500 million no we need to make like at least double to make our stockholders happy because otherwise we're gonna have to fire 800 people yeah that's really interesting and now we know that in january activision and bungie decided that they were going to split and bungie now from my understanding is publishing their own game so what are, what are your yeah, thoughts on this? Do you think that Bungie will be able to sustain publishing a game and developing a game where they had trouble in the development process alone without even having to take on that publishing responsibility? I mean, I think they have a bunch of new partners, right? Like uh, Netties. Yeah. Netties. Um, Netties, yeah. But... I thought it was interesting. Like, here's the thing. When a studio does something, there's a few immediate challenges, right? The first challenge is they no longer have a publisher. A lot of people go like, well, what does a publisher do? And the answer is actually quite a lot. Like, a publisher tends to take care of everything from, like, QA to to release management to negotiating deals with major platforms, like, establishing certain, like, Timelines, product, uh, production from overhead. And yeah, the studio has some of that internally. But as soon as they do that, they're going to have to spin up this entire new team of people that are going to take care of all this stuff, right? And I know Bungie internally had an incredible marketing team and they had an incredible uh, community team, but there's still a lot of responsibilities that were Activision Blizzards that are now Bungie's, right? So that's one. Second, it obviously changes the way the game has to be developed because in one way, they just don't have to listen to anybody anymore, which is nice. On the other hand, their challenges are exactly the same as Activision Blizzard, which is they need to make money. Uh, they can keep it a little closer to what they originally intended, but we actually have no idea if what they originally intended was better or worse than what Activision Blizzard made out of it. Because one weird truth about game development is nobody knows what they're doing. Um, Bungie definitely doesn't. Like, you can tell from how they're experimenting and how they're moving things around. Like, they're being, from a game developer's perspective, what Bungie is doing is fascinating. It's really cool. They're experimenting and iterating on a live game. You can see them try different things and then go, like, okay, this works. This doesn't work. Okay, this will come back next season. This we're taking out. Okay, we're just going to overthrow the entire DLC scheme from like the Comet system, and we're now going to do season passes uh, or seasons. And like, as the game goes, they're experimenting with this stuff, right? They did Destiny 1. They started work on Destiny 2 halfway through. And you can kind of see in Destiny 2 that a lot of the choices they made are responses to um, the Taken King, right? 
which was in development, presumably, when Destiny 2 must have been started. So you're seeing all this stuff where, where Bungie is, is being a phenomenal game developer, right? Just is like, for me, super impressive to see they have not only the, the, the wherewithal to understand that this is an evolving game and to get it right, they're going to have to get it wrong sometimes, but they also just dare to get it wrong, right? Like when they when they threw when they did the the faster going faster update right when they basically when they did what was it Destiny Two Forsaken yeah when Forsaken came out like come on that's not a DLC that's a full new game that's Destiny Three I went and visited Bungie after that and I told them like I don't like I don't believe what you just released. Destiny 2 Forsaken. What you just released is Destiny 3, and you just called it Forsaken. Because the amount of work that went into rebalancing every weapon, every class, doing all the numbers again, speeding up things, different jumps, like, come on, that's a new video game right there. Yeah, and and for only $40, we got so much incredible content. I think the Dreaming (laughs) City to this day is one of the most fascinating sandboxes that they've released to to date. That's that's they're experimenting, right? They're just trying stuff, and they realize that cool. But then after that, they change the model, so now they don't actually have a lot of time to make it, which is unfortunate because now the model is not. They're not getting forty dollars for it, or you can't really justify creating something like the Dreamer City unless you have a stable income. It's really interesting. So, yeah, that's a good point. I, so that's here's really the thing, like. Yeah. Am I happy that Bungie is now the largest indie studio in the world? Yeah. I love it. I'm an indie. Like, welcome. Like, come join us, right? Like, I said, I said everybody I knew at Bungie. And, uh, but on the other side, am I scared? I'm worried for them. Of course I'm worried for them. Like, I don't know what their, I don't know what their numbers are like. I don't know. Like, I don't have a lot of insider detail that, that other people would not have, right? Um, I know some things I've had conversations, but like in, in, in general, I don't know what this, what this pans out as, but one thing I know about game development is it's not necessarily better to be untethered, right? It's not necessarily better to have nobody looming over you and go like, no, you have to do it this way because everything they do now, if it's good, it's 100% them, right? But if it's, it's bad, also 100% them, yeah, it's also 100% them. So. And that, that's a Very risky true. situation to be in with a game in like that. In your opinion, would you say that Bungie made the right call by splitting up with Activision when they did back in January? You know what? I don't know exactly what happened there, but I think it, I think it was just the logical call. Something like this doesn't happen, right? This is not this is not a games industry story. They're like there's no way this should have happened. Whatever must have happened there is Either Activision Blizzard wanted to get rid of the property and they gave Bungie a really good deal. And they just looked at it and went like, well, you know what? We'll just be indie again. It'll be just be our own thing. Um, I think it has both to do with it because I think Activision wasn't, um, yeah, they, they weren't were, pleased with which the sales and things like that. They weren't yeah. good. Yeah. They weren't getting a return on still, their investment. Like, they were not They're getting a return on their investment. So what you do is you get rid of your like Bungie doesn't have that much money. They're not a five hundred million dollar studio. Like, 
They did a hundred million deal mm -hmm. with Netties, right? So I'm gonna guess some of that money paying for this deal, maybe. I don't know. It's possible, yeah. They're also making that the, that the, game. Yeah. They're making a but side I mean, think game about for it, that. Like, Bungie is not a super like they they don't have a lot of money. They're they're a relatively studio, kind of surviving on the margins, from what I understand. Like this is not a. It doesn't look like it doesn't seem like a studio that makes a game and then sits back with infinite bags of money. Like these people are like these people are working for their money like really hard, right? Um, but that means that really what Activision Blizzard must have asked can't be it can't be more than a hundred like it can't be that much. It also puts them in a good position, though, because they can accept offers from yeah, like a lot but of. But do you think the community like, people, would be okay? I'm with guessing, that? correct. Right. Mm, if if yeah, you know where they went, like that's, that's we have good news, yeah. Ubisoft. Like I like I don't want to see the red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you mention that because <laughs> me and Shadow Price have a little bet because I have this <laughs> opinion that Bungie will go back and cut some kind of a deal <laughs> with Microsoft and work together again because Xbox needs games right now, especially with the lackluster um, oh boy. year that we've had with Xbox, not really having too many great exclusive titles this year. Um, they did. They did, but it takes time to develop games. Yeah, it doesn't they, happen. I mean, they have a lot of studios, take years for us I mean, to really they, they, oh. realize that potential. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to take some time for them. So so here's what I think. I think Bungie is going to go as wide as possible. Like, just hit just hit the platforms as evenly as possible. I think the exclusivity deals might continue because they make good money. And like I said, this is not a studio with infinite money. They need that money to survive. Um, and I don't want to paint, like, this idea that Bungie is a studio on the brink of collapse, right? I don't, I don't think Bungie is a studio on the brink of collapse, but... As like an outside sort of like uh, as an outside view with sort of an understanding of how money flows in the games industry, like this is not an infinite money studio. This is a studio that that has to keep making money to stay in business, uh, and not on a not on like five years of budget, right? So there's that. They're developing presumably three games at once right now because they've got a side game. I'm assuming that development on Destiny Three must have started. And they're continuing to develop season oh, yeah. stuff, <laughs> right? Yes, that's yeah. Because we got some information we from uh, uh, insight uh, developer insight oh, video today that they said that yeah, it, it was just a short video about three minutes or fifty seconds, almost four minutes, but they actually mentioned the darkness again. And they haven't mentioned yeah, the darkness at all in Destiny 2. <laughs> and Luke, Luke Smith hinted at uh, something in a post about, I want to say it was late January or mid-January. I'm happy Luke Smith is back. I honestly, I, I don't... Yeah, Like too. Vanilla State. But again, like, I, maybe my perspective is just very different. But the way I looked at Destiny 2 is that is a very solid foundation to build a game on. Right, like Destiny One was sort of like this, this, this house of cards that very much looked like it could fall over at any point. That any change they wanted to make took forever, and then like Destiny, such a like adding Gambit, that's cool. 
Cool, that's an amazing mode. They built that on top of a game. Like, I don't think one that would have been a possibility. <laughs> I don't know if that story's true, but that sounds very much like a video game story. That sounds very much like a story that would happen. Uh, oh. So I believe that. Right. That's really funny. Wow. Yeah. Well, or, or have you ever seen the Fallout, like the way they do trams in Fallout? No, I haven't. It, it's basically, it's, uh, it's a human character and the, their helmet. And then they just lower it so that the body of the vehicle is underground. And then they just run really fast. Oh, wow. That's how vehicles work in Fallout. It's just a helmet on a human. You just don't under the ground oh geez that's video game <laughs> development it's all it's all a mess like it's it's, it's it's like smoke and mirrors almost like yeah it's all fake it's all fake <laughs> it, all that matters is whether you believe it right right and i think it's, one of my beautiful one of my favorite things about games is you can just not believe it you can literally just choose not to believe it right uh there's always this i always do a serious playthrough of a call of duty game and then i just do a messed up playthrough of a call of duty game and it's so funny like running backward, walking backwards towards an important jump where you're like everything's exploding behind you and you have to jump to an airplane and you just decide to sort of like slowly walk backwards and then you still make the jump because of course you make the jump. Like stuff right. like that where you're just like, oh yeah, okay, it's a like beautiful, <laughs> like look to the right and you're just like jumping on the table in the middle of the room just being like, oh, hey, cool, this is cool. Can I jump out of that window? I wonder if I can jump out of the window. Outside, all sorts of like narrative stuff is happening. It's like, oh. That's the whole break in the game thing yeah. like for you and everything. It's great. Like, yeah. It's just, yeah. but that, like, that's, I like that we can just choose not to believe a game, right? We just go like, yeah. Like in, in Destiny, if you, when you decide to like grind in Destiny 1, when you used to do like uh, the We've Woken the High thing. <laughs> Yeah, right, you're not Very actually destiny right now. <laughs> you're just trying to maximize what you're getting out of it, uh, so you're that just later on to get your you bounties done. <laughs> yeah, I need to shoot three hundred things. Okay, well here, let's throw some grenades at the throw. I miss that. I miss that sequence. I do too. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Isn't it weird how the things you end up loving about games are often fun thing about the game? Yeah, the things that are the most like you know menial or you know insignificant, and then they just be like. Wow, yeah, I really do miss that. <laughs> yeah, I, every now and then I just I just go like, I want to be, I want to go to the moon and just throw some grenades and some thrall. I know, I, I, I just want to go back to Venus. Yeah. Like, love Venus so yep. much. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful environment. Mm -hmm. I'd yeah, like to go back the to the Cosmodrome and shoot that uh, loot cave. <laughs> I, I do. I Actually, the, the thing where they put the Cosmodrome, was one of my favorite things. Like, yeah. what a moment was that? that? You're just walking through the Cosmo and just being like, wow. Holy crap, I spent so much time here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was like, I genuinely, like, you know how sometimes you, like, you can feel sort of like your heartbeat in a thing? Yeah. Like, when yeah. I spawned, because I, it wasn't spoiled for me, right? When I realized that I was going to the Cosmo, I was like, I got real nervous. I was like, oh my God, like, please get this right. And then just being exact sequence from the start is like, ah, oh, perfect. 
Are you talking about the mission in Destiny 2? Like the, yeah, the, the, the Thunder Thunder. yeah, the Thunderlord. Yeah, yeah. The Thunderlord mission. Yes. Well, what a great mission. Yeah, yeah, definitely pulls on the nostalgia strings for sure. Oh, yeah. But that's the thing. They have that now. They have this kind of stuff. Imagine what they can with two right. Destiny games full of nostalgia. <laughs> exactly. And that's what Luke Smith was hinting at when he said, not everything has been lost in the dark corners of time. I'm yeah. yeah. Oh. No. Ooh, ooh! I really, I really like Luke Smith. How awesome yeah. would it be if we can actually go back and relive the Vault of Glass? Yeah, like all the raids, Vault of Glass, um, you know, King's Fall. Uh, yeah, or, or even just, but even just going through those spaces again, right? Oh, like, yeah. If mm-hmm. I never have to interact with every any Gorgon, <laughs> right? But Gorgon I would still is. like. To see like the the ATM fight, right? I still want to yeah. be in that room again. I don't have to do the ATM fight again because I was a titan that played bubble, and that was kind of my thing. And that doesn't work. Weapons as well of light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so I don't really want to do that fight again because setup now is you no know, uh, commander. Uh, it's not quite as wouldn't be quite the same. But no, there was no something really cool. No self res warlock. Either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I feel like you know, given what how much it changed, I, I feel really good. Um, I really like Leviathan. Uh, I, I thought that was very solid. It was a little weird, but I liked how different it felt. Yeah, um, I. I have a love-hate relationship with that raid, but yeah. <laughs> it's only because of uh, Kallus, I think, you know. Yeah, Kallus is kind of a weird fight. The yeah. the, the, the physics on that are not yeah. great. Yeah, I agree. See, but Leviathan like, is probably, yeah. for me, like one of my least favorite raids, but I think the reason why is because I had very high expectations going into Destiny 2, where I expected a bunch of boss fights leading up to Kallus, and... It almost felt like we didn't quite get that. They went with a different approach with yeah. the with that raid especially. Yeah. And it 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 felt it was like a running man. It was like a game show. It was yeah. like Alex was like, you know, Richard Dawson on the running yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. But then I think they they didn't last wish it kind of went like the full other way just kind of went like oh yeah boss boss crazy here's the bosses you want bosses here's here's bosses here's all the bosses you can you can take literally literally maximum boss um and i i I don't know like i feel like they're again like they're experimenting and i really appreciate seeing that in a live game where it's like okay you know what let's try something very different yeah, that's what Niobe Labs was. It was an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> that experiment yeah. kind of went wrong a little bit. Yeah, but is <laughs> it cool that them. they're doing that, though? Because now they know, right? Now they can make yeah. content like that. They know exactly what they did wrong. Right. And now they can, like, they, they have this, like, amazing pseudo-ARG thing with, like, successively more interesting or more difficult, like, battles that give you interesting, like, story, interesting lore, interesting locations. They can do that now. I can't imagine the code that has to go into that is just, like, insane. That, yeah. stringer, that string of code, oh, my God, it's got to be, like, 300 pages long. <laughs> there's a, there's, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff in games 
where I think the thinking of how it's going to work is the hard part. And then the implementing is actually relatively easy. But there's a bunch of stuff that Bungie does that made me go like, I don't know how much time people spend thinking about this because this is a lot to think about, right? I always love the raids, like the Destiny, especially some of the D1 raids were so good. At, because what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a situation where when you have to learn it, you have to cross talk. But then when you're good at it, you don't have to talk at all. Right? That's so hard. Like that's yes. just a if if you give if you if you get a group of six people together and you make and you try to make game rules for something that requires you at the start to talk a lot, but then when you get good at it to not talk at all, that's hard. Does it have to be complicated enough that you have to talk? And it has to require explanation enough that it's not immediately obvious. Immediately obvious you don't have to communicate. So you have to go sit somewhere between like obfuscating like very like semi-complex mechanics to the point where if you really understand it and you have understand where the other players are but if you don't then you have to talk and more than one person has to talk at once i actually think they nailed that again in leviathan especially on the dogs right uh mm-hmm. like especially that sequence when you get in there the first time it's just people yelling at each other <laughs> yeah, that's how Vault of Glass was in the beginning. Like yeah. everybody's just yelling at each other, just like what you know. Remember oh, the Gorgons? The Gorgons, you're just oh my god! Like, yeah, there's like there's one on the left, there's one on the left. Oh, there's also one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, don't jump on the thing. Go back. And it's like that. That was Gorgons, and then by now he's just like everybody walks in, goes to the left, jumps on the thing, jumps over the thing, and is out. Yep, jumps on the cliff, and then yeah. just and then literally, yeah, literally nobody speaks. You just go through the thing. The only time yeah. anybody will speak if somebody messes up. Everybody goes, Ugh. <laughs> really? I do think like the first couple of weeks that the raid is out, I think it's especially challenging because you have a lot of players who are underleveled. So you have that element increasing the difficulty of what you're playing on top of trying to learn all the mechanics and getting them perfect. And I really appreciate Destiny for the fact that They require for the ultimate level of coordination among all players to work together or else you're not going to get that activity finished. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty incredible. What's your favorite raid, Rami? Ooh. I, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, let me think. Yeah, it's Vault of Glass. It has to be Vault of Glass. I agree. I actually, so I have an odd weak spot for Crota's Crota's end. Uh, the yeah. dark, the, I, I have I have a weak spot for that one. I don't I just know love exactly that. Where. I love that environment in Crota's end. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's the Hellmouth and just sort of like the weird structures that they do uh, throughout that raid. Yeah, uh, and I, I just I really the like co- the animation of Crota spawning. I like that, and I love the color palette, like in that yeah. area too. Yeah, and the green, black. Yeah, it's very striking, very cool. And then uh, the, the the Taken King. I like that raid, but I feel it's a little too systemic at times. Right? It can be very taxing for sure. Yeah, you just gotta go like, okay, you do this thing, now you do this thing, now you do this thing, now you do this thing. Now this right. this thing happens, and it's just kind of like. There's something really pleasant about sort of like the the ritual of it, but at the same time, it's a little 
it it feels like at some point it doesn't really matter anymore as long as you just bring the ball to the goal, right? Right, right. Uh, I, I found that a little disheartening. And then you had uh, uh, the machine raid, Wrath right? Machine, yep. Wrath of the machine, yeah. Wrath of the machine. I thought that was okay. I really hated the deaths of Odie. <laughs> I really hated that one. I just there's something about that, like the the cool, but the X, like it just didn't quite work for me. Uh, I did like the final boss in that one. Yeah, Axis. Yeah, it was a good fight. Yeah, for sure. See, I kind of like the Death Zamboni because I felt like it was very unique and different from anything that we've played. I like the second part of the Death Zamboni where you have to yeah. get the pieces and stuff. Yeah. Like that. I thought that was cool. Yeah, there, there, there was interesting stuff there. I think the whole mechanic of bringing thing to thing is... <laughs> it doesn't necessarily work well in Destiny uh, unless yeah. you can use your double jump. And I think that's kind of what... Oh yeah, yeah, because you just get wrecked by every enemy on the way. Yeah, like, you're just kind of like walking, yeah. and everybody's like trying to defend you, but at the same time, like step to the left, like an enemy is gonna walk in and yeah, bump you off that little thin thing you walk over, and now it's like, okay, well, guess we wipe. Yeah, it just becomes a comedy of errors, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's good. It's a good. Like I think all Destiny One raids were good. Yeah, I think the raid layers were interesting as an experiment. I prefer where they're again at now again, where they're just doing like slightly bigger stuff again. Yeah. And that's like you said, they were trying stuff again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they were trying stuff and they realized that, okay, yeah, these ray layers, they're kind of missing the mark. I think people, they, they like the more full fledged, like, yeah. Raid. yeah. I think Argos was a very unique boss fight. I really enjoyed playing that fight and i really enjoyed the mechanics there i think they did a really good job with that final boss fight it was a good fight player. and so was the dude from freaking spire of stars but it was just hard it was so hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fun I, I think one of the things i really appreciate is how good they are slowly introducing a mechanic to the point where when you get to the boss fight it's not entirely obvious but if you just dropped into the boss fight at the end of a raid without the rest of the raid in front of it, you would be so lost. Yeah. Yep. That's how we started with Vogue. We we got dropped into Atheon because we had some friends who were like, oh, let's no do way. it. Yeah. And I'm just That's like, incredible. I'm like, this is, this is at the stage where they were teleporting you too, if you were like in the back, <laughs> the three people in the back who got teleported inside and everything. And I'm just like, what just happened? Where am I? <laughs> that was such a good battle. I still use that battle, the Atheon battle. I still use that battle to explain why, why Destiny is great. Yeah. I so totally, good. totally, totally agree. It's just got all the elements of a, such a, a great epic fight. Yep. Yeah, it's the teleporter. It's like the people landing in the different space and they're getting out and they're going blind and the clearing and the Mm -hmm. they come together just in such a beautiful way and then just the unloading on Atheon is the greatest thing right where yeah. everybody's just like okay well everybody's here everybody's clean jump in the middle get that shield up bullets go out they don't go in you just stand there like fireworks for like 10-15 seconds it's great it's great I love it guardians make their own fate <laughs> it's such an iconic line yeah 
You know, the, the best part about that is nobody at, at Bungie could have predicted that that line would be such a powerful line. Somebody Except just Luke wrote Smith. that. <laughs> Except yeah. Luke Smith. Somebody yeah. just wrote that. They went like, well, uh, Guardians make their own fate. They're like, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. But like, there's hundreds of lines like that in the game, right? This one just... Sometimes things in games just work. And the honest truth is, as a, as a game developer, I would not be able to tell you what they are. Like in my latest game, Nuclear Throne, there's a bunch of stuff there that people really like. And when we were making it, none of us were like, this is a thing. Just sometimes something happens. And then it's magic. And then it's magic. And then you have to make sure that you don't milk it too much, but also too much. Right. That's really awesome. Now, Rami, what advice would you give to other individuals who are looking to break out in the gaming industry who have a passion to make video games and want to work in the video game space? Well, if you're not a game developer and you want to get into games, the first thing that you do is download whatever program. Game Maker, Constructs, uh, Unity, Unreal. I don't pick one that sounds good to you and just make Pong. Literally just make Pong. Make Pong or Tetris or Pac-Man or Space Invaders. Like Nothing will teach you faster just the basics of what game design is than doing that, right? The second tip I would give them is there's this old story. It's, I think, a Roman or Greek story about a, a teacher who teaches a class how to make good pots, right? A pottery. And he splits the class in two and he gives one half of the class the full year to make the perfect pot. And he gives the other group, the other half of the class, the assignment to make one pot a week. And at the end of the year, they compare the last pot those people made versus the one pot that, that you had a year to work on. And the best pots were obviously in the group that had a pot made every week because they learned that the oven was too hot, that the shape isn't stable, that this is sturdy. So if you're going to be in game development, that's very similar. You have to be okay with making mistakes. And I think trying to make something perfect is the fastest way to just end your career in games. It will never work. It'll never be perfect. It'll never be like you imagined because you're, you're, you, a computer is not your brain. It can't fill in the blanks. And the final thing is this is a very small industry. Uh, it's not that it's tiny. It's just that if you are going to do something one of the things that this games industry uh, is is very protective of is that we are we we are the games industry right and a lot of people like to think that we're this like ever infighting group of people that like want to out outplay each other outcompete each other make more money than it but the honest truth is like we we kind of all understand that we're in the same boat like this is a weird job right it's a job where you can wake up and everything is fine and you change a number in a piece of code to be like 0.2 lower and the week after you've got like death threats and like angry people and like Reddit is telling everybody that you suck at your job and you know all that, right? Like we know that, but we also know the joy of it, right? We also know the support we get, the fan art, the cosplays. We also know the the like mashing your head on the keyboard because why does the code work and then an hour later mashing your head on the keyboard because why does the code work now like 
we, we know all these feelings and we know that most of us are capable people with very talented, very specialized knowledge that could do better in another industry. If you're a programmer, you could work for a bank and make better money and have more job stability uh, and, you know, better approval from your family or parents or whatever. Um, but instead, we're here. So, no, we don't hate each other. Uh, there's not a single indie in the world that I go and look at their game and go, right? After I saw God of War win every award at the I took a selfie with uh, with Corey and Phil Spencer. And you would think they're competitors, but they're not. They're game developers. We are game developers. And I think one of the things a lot of people learn when they transition from being a gamer to being a game developer is that talking shit is not really appreciated. You can be critical, right? You can you can be you can be very critical. Like I will on like I've I've had some pretty critical conversations with Bungie about their game. Um but that doesn't mean that you want to go and attack a person, right? Like the process of making a game is weird and if you understand it, you will probably you'll probably be critical of the process before you're critical of people. Right. And yeah. you you like understand it more. You understand, you know, the the trouble that they, you know, can go through through development and things like that. Yeah. When, when something breaks, like you said, you know, and it's just everything is broken. Yeah. All the time. This is game design. Right. And you're always you're <laughs> sitting there like have to patch it every like other day yeah. and everything. Yeah. But like sometimes broken stuff is great. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that at least there's a bunch of weapons in Destiny that are definitely just bugs that people went like, oh yeah, that's cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a bunch of armor effects in there that some designer like explained it wrong, and then the programmer programmed it the way they thought. Yeah, this is cooler. Like game development has to be broken because if it isn't broken, we can't fix it. Right, and I think game developers are problem solvers. We're like, okay, we want the player to feel this way. How can we do that? And we just try some stuff, and then eventually it works. And then afterwards, we give talks about how it's brilliant. <laughs> That's that. really cool. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. V- video game, any kind of creative process. I think it, it's it's a work in progress. There's never a finale. You can always make something better. You can always improve on something. But sometimes yeah. you have to bring the product out to market and then build upon it. It's so uh, scary. That's the one thing I love about video games. So scary. It's every time it's scary. It's so awesome. It's like you work on this thing for years and you have an idea of how to play it and how people interact with it. But like you get so close to a video game. It's really... It's really hard to explain, but like, if you work something with that level of like precision and that level of like scrutiny and that level of self-doubt all the time, right? And then it's done. And now you're going to put it in people's hands and then it's no longer you. Right? It's just, it's just not. People always, people might play it a different way or they might not like this thing you did or they might skip it. Or, you know, they might love it, they might hate it, they might 
cosplay a character that you never even realized was going to be a big deal. It's no longer your game then. And it's like sending a kid to school or something. It must feel like that. I don't know if that's how it feels like. I don't have kids, but it kind of feels like it's a, when people talk about that, that's what releasing a game feels like. But it's the greatest thing. Like the first YouTube videos are just like, that's why you do this stuff. It's like the, the fan videos and the YouTube comments that, you know, go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, there's this game called Atomic Crops coming out uh, that was announced, like people were talking about the other day. And there's like hundreds or like thousands of people going like, like oh, that's like nuclear throw moon. And I'm like, wow, people remember my game. Right, like this is like this game had an impact on them, and they they fondly remember it. They want to play a game that is like it, and it just yeah. the first cosplayer you meet is like you're like what what is this? This is awesome. Yeah, it's such it's such a good job. I have I have I genuinely like we create joy. Yeah. I'm sure it's very rewarding and just being able to share that with everybody is just like, it's super, super awesome. Yeah. It really yeah, is. And I've had some of the most fun in destiny. I mean, it's, it's no surprise that we've put in 5,000 plus hours into this game. That's, that's a lot of time. Yep. We love I, destiny. There, there, uh, destiny is a lot of my life. I like, I've put more hours into destiny than any other video. Yeah, uh, easily. Same, uh, same. Yeah. And it just doesn't it just doesn't get old. Like there's times where I've like floated away from it a little. And then I just come back, you know, like there's a big game launch and I play that game and then afterwards, yeah, let's catch up on Destiny. Right? And they do a pretty good job of making sure that you can always catch back up. Uh, yeah. so I don't know, like it's it's my game between games. It's my it's it's my default state. My default state is I play Destiny. And every now and then there'll be a reason to not play Destiny. And I'll play whatever I need to play then. It's comfort food. It's some good yeah. comfort. Yeah. It's like that comfort. Yeah, that's a great way mm -hmm. to put it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's just, and it's so nice because you just hop on and you just message a friend and you go like, hey, want to run through this thing for a bit? And it's like, yeah, okay. And then you just kind of, for me, it's also like sort of like a phone call backdrop. Catch up on some on like how my friends are doing. You know, I'm traveling all the time. I get home. I'm like Phil Tibetoski. I catch up with Phil in Destiny. Oh, know, nice. Know know how life is going, right? Like how know how things. Like have a quick chat. Um, but there's a lot of game developers I catch up with in Destiny, just because we all kind of play the game. Well, not all of us, but a lot of us play play Destiny. Um. And a lot of us just kind of end up back there for some reason. Now, Rami, I am curious to ask you, mm -hmm. what is your favorite game of all time and why? Ooh. I know it's a tough one. That is a tough one. My favorite game of all time. Uh, well, this is, a, yeah, that is kind of tough because there's different, there's different reasons I love games, right? Like, so one of my favorite games, can I, can I do three? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So number one, uh, Metal Gear Solid. Yes. The original one. Thank you. Oh my God. Rami, it's, you're amazing. That's my favorite game. 
Nice. Metal Gear Solid was just mind-boggling. Oh my it's, god. It's yeah. beyond it's beyond compare. There's there was never a game before Metal Gear Solid that was like Metal Gear Solid. Absolutely. And there will never be a game after Metal Gear Solid that was like Metal Gear Solid. Um, you felt like you were Snake. Like yeah. you truly felt like you were Snake. And then I played it. Like I played every Christmas, my Christmas game. Um, That's awesome. And then you see Snake like get up in the elevator, at mm-hmm. six pixels, and you're like, "What? Was that really what it looked like?" <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so um, then there is um, there's Split Second, which is a really odd one. I'm normally not a racing game fan. And I always have to pick mm-hmm. kind of by mood. It's either Split Second or Alan Wake. And it oh, was this yeah. weird era of of Xbox uh, 360 games that were like, we were at the point where we could do really impressive graphics, but also we kind of wanted to make weird mechanics. So Split Second was Mario Kart, but you blew up buildings instead of shooting shells, <laughs> which is great. It's super spectacular. It's super fun. And then Alan Wake was this sort of psychological thriller about a writer whose book was coming to life. Uh, But you would find pages of the book before a lot of things would happen. Mm -hmm. So you'd be like, you would find a page of the book floating around and you'd catch it. And the flashlight was a huge mechanic in that, right? Yep. But the book would go like, Alan was like, uh, he was attacked for us at the the lumber mill by a chainsaw-wielding monster. And you're like, I've never seen a... Lo-. And then you turn the corner and it's there, and you're like, oh boy. <laughs> where, is, where is this chainsaw-wielding monster? And I thought that was very clever. And I think the, the, the last one, it used to be Final Fantasy XV. I really, really adore that game. But then I played Nier Automata, Oh, and I yeah. think Nier Automata is my favorite game ever made. Uh, it's I, I I don't have words for that game. It is it is a masterpiece. It is broken in all the right ways. It's perfect in all the right ways. Nier Automata is the only game I've played in my life that is better if you for every game you've played before it. Right, the more you know about video games, the better Nier Automata is, uh, because it uses that. It uses games as the way it tells its story, the way it sets expectation, the way it deals with like conclusions or choices. Like there's choices that will just immediately roll credits. Right, that's it. The game's done. You did it. End of story. Um. And it's just that, it's that kind of stuff where you're like, oh, wow, this is good. It's just very good. Yeah, I heard it's got, it, I mean, I did play like the demo and everything and I did like what I played. I'm, I'm eventually going to get that game um, for, I just, <laughs> I got so many games in my backlog, just like Corn yeah. said. Near is big. Near is, is, it's a good like 60 to 100 hours. Oh, wow. Uh, but if... If you ever need a game that 
by the end of it, you will go like, what the, what, what? <laughs> this was awesome, but also what? Uh, that's near. Um, and then I think like the weird thing, because we've been talking about Destiny forever, the weird thing about Destiny is I don't think it is one of my favorite games ever. I think it's one of the most important games in my life, though. Right? It's just the game I go back to. It's 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 the safe, always there, have fun, like relax, de-stress, talk to friends. It's just my my PlayStation always has it in like five icons, right? It never falls out of there. Um and I love it. I love that game a lot. A lot of my life was tied to Destiny. I some incredible of my life happened through Destiny, like it's it's just such a special game to me, and I don't think there's nothing that Bungie could do that would make me stop playing Destiny. I think, um, but the the honest truth is, I think they're doing a pretty good job of of managing their game. Uh, even though I understand from moment to moment it can feel less than great, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you said Metal Gear Solid, Rami. I just <laughs> love that game so much. Uh, me too. I love the. I just love the codec messages too. I can just yep. sit there and listen, and I do. I don't skip them when I play. I I can't skip them because I yep. I just love getting that story. And even Although though I that know one conversation near the end of the elevator, yeah, conversation goes for like one hour or something. It was like, <laughs> wow, okay, yeah, okay, okay, y'all, uh huh, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, seeing Metal Gear Rex for the first time, and like I love, I love some of the the video gamey stuff in there that they had to do because it's kind of a complex game, and there was a lot of like, there was a lot of like, just like bigness, like there was a lot of like size to the story that we just weren't used to, right? This is one of the first like big cinematic games, but the way yeah. they used Solid Snake to like have the world explain things to the player was so good because Snake is kind of an idiot. <laughs> and like, yeah. Somebody you, goes like, "Oh yeah, it's in the it's in the underground basement." Underground basement. It's like, yeah, it's mate, it's a basement that is underground. What is like? What did you? Everything stage is like, what? Let me Woman. repeat the exact thing you just said. Woman in the cell. Yeah. <laughs> a surveillance camera. Yeah, it's a military base. Of course, there's a surveillance camera. Uh, yeah. Is this military base? Do you guys remember the part where he, there was like a boss fight where you literally have to unplug the controller port? Psychomantis. Psychomantis. Oh my god, yeah. that was so much uh, fun. Yeah. That was yeah. so unique and different. And I think Did Metal you know Gear. That it, it would read your save games on your memory card. And if it yeah. found like Castlevania on the thing, it would make a. Like Psychomantis would go, like, I, I see you like Castlevania. And you'd be like, what? what? How did you know that? <laughs> I know that's that's that was that was groundbreaking at the time for sure. Uh, yeah. Near Automata it, does a lot of that. I think if you're a fan of of Metal Gear Solid, Near Automata should be very high on your on your right. games to play. I will have to definitely check into that. Games that break the fourth wall, you know, it's, yep. it's really cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but uh, Metal Gear Solid is just I and I liked two and I liked three and four was okay and. You know, whatever. Like Metal Gear Solid One was such a singular moment in games. Yeah. Um, 
totally agree everything, with you. Everything, everything. Walking up the tower, the the fight with Sniper Wolf, uh, Ninja, uh, Metal Gear Rack, like yeah, I just incredible voice acting in it too. Yeah, like I both because did you play Twin Snakes like the remake? Yes, yes, I did. Yes. I was okay with that, but they made Snake into such a superhero that it didn't work. For like he did like a backflip between like two blades, and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, they 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 matrixize it. They, yeah. they did some matrix stuff in it because yeah, it was, was like, ah, oh, that doesn't work for me. Snake's yeah. just like a dude. I think that was right. my favorite thing about Snake. Snake was not particularly good at anything. Not particularly smart. He was just the right person to do the job. Right. Yeah, just like they said, uh, I'm the pawn they sent to save your worthless butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the game was so aware of this, right? Like the game was so aware of playing, yeah. like the characters it had, and it was very genuine about all of them. Um, yeah, absolutely. The Falky, like just the the Falky at the end of the game, where you're just running back and forth. Like a lava world, ice world. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back. And then you're done. And then it, it does the twist, and you're like, "Yeah, I was going to mention that." Are you kidding? Like, would no? And you have the exact same feeling that Snake has in that scene. And you're like, "What?" And then it goes <laughs> like the the escape sequence where you have to escape from the small room that's like filled with toxic gas now, and it's just like the pacing and everything. It's just so good. Ugh, Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. I like you know when something is really good, I get angry at it. Metal Gear Solid makes me angry. Just like Destiny's double jump makes me angry. Yeah, because you know, it, it, you, you just know it's never going to really like get better than that. Even though yeah, you, this was it. We did yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> yeah, nobody... I, I, I desperately want a remake of Metal Gear Solid, and then I desperately oh don't God. want a remake of Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> the game is perfect. Don't touch it. Leave it. Right. We're good. Yep, even okay. those little, little polygons. Yeah, like because the alternative is they have to give him eyes. <laughs> right, I don't want that. I want I want his eyes to be six pixels. <laughs> That's it. I want them to be sunken in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. What a game! Wow, I, I think this chat with you has been probably one of the most eye-opening experiences that I had in video games because I, yeah, I used to be a lot more critical of Bungie at times when I probably should not have been. So this is really <laughs> enlightening for me to get such a unique perspective and to get a whole new way of looking at the game development process and also some of the challenges that game development brings with it. And it's it's incredible. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Like, here's the thing, though. Like, please be critical, though, right? Like, there's no way we can make our games as good as possible if people don't tell us what. We're doing. And I think we don't necessarily need people to fully understand the intricacies and the problems of games. It's just sometimes very tiring when you're really trying and people are assuming you're not. Right. Because I think the one truth in games is that we're trying we're really trying all of us are i've never well i mean i've met a few games that weren't trying but across all of these big games across the call of duties and the need for speeds and the fifas and the destinies and the anthems and the and all these games 
people care like so much, like ridiculous amounts. And uh, it's too much at some time. And we, we read everything. Like people think, oh, people, developers don't read this. They don't respond to it. Like we don't respond because it's risky to respond on, on the internet, right? If you say like, if somebody says like, are you going to do multiplayer? And you're looking into like, before you know it, it's going to be like, oh yeah, they promised in a Reddit thread, like 12, 12 people multiplayer. Like things just escalate. So we're, we're all a little careful. We're all a little scared. We're all a little worried. We just want to make games. Mm-hmm. And and we're really trying. So please be critical because honestly, like one of the things that we have to learn as game designers is we have to learn to deal with feedback. We have to learn to like read your feedback, to understand your feedback. At the same time, I just really believe in being transparent about how our industry works because I think a little bit more understanding never hurt anybody. Right. It's just so, be, be constructive though with your feedback. Don't yeah. don't don't be like, you know, somebody just shouting like, you know, all these like obscenities and things like yeah. that, you know, and just it's the, yeah. the best feedback we will ever get. The best feedback that you can give as a developer is I I played X, I expected Y, instead I got Z. And the feeling I had about that was whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people were unhappy about some of the, and I have to admit, honestly, the community tends to be quite good at this. They can be a little salty, they can be a little annoying, but in general, like the types of feedback that come out of the community are, are relatively actionable, which is why I think you see Destiny, well, you see Bungie respond to a lot of it, not immediately because things take time, but a lot of issues, if you go back and you read the Reddit three months ago, and you compare it to what's in the game now, you'll see that a lot of those things have been addressed or like moved a little, right? Uh, but yeah, no, no, please, please be critical. Uh, but also when we do something right, you know, like, please, please say that too. Yeah. It helps. It helps a lot. Developers really appreciate when you give them, you know, love and give them props oh for what God, they're doing. No. And so it, much. It, it makes such a difference. Like waking up and just checking your email and there's this, Hey, you're doing a good job. Like we're working in creative media. There is like, we have no objective measurement for what, whether what we're doing is good. There's not like, we can't like check it in and just go like eight out of 10, right? Like there's no computer that tells us whether we did a good job. Our boss did a good job. Like it can, they can tell us whether we did it on time and whether it's to spec, but whether it's good, is it going to resonate? Do people care? We will, we will never know that unless you send us that email. So yeah, send, send us that email. Put it, on, put it on Reddit. If you love something, you love a weapon, tell us. Right? You love a armor, tell us. You love, you love the double jump, tell us. Like it, it makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Very well put. Now, wow. Thank you so much for, for the incredible interview. And Rami, I have so much more respect for you now after our interview than i ever did before so thank you so much uh for coming on with us tonight this was a really good chat yeah i i would love to stick around more but i just realized it's, it's now 4 a.m in netherlands and uh that is that is a thing uh so i'm gonna try and get some get some sleep uh but i really appreciate the chat this was really fun uh really good questions and just good time i um, 
I'm, I, I know that sometimes, like, one of the things that I get as, as feedback myself is that it, it sounds like I'm trying to defend a lot of things that are bad in the industry. And I think what, for me, I just, I just so truly believe that, that gamers are intelligent people, right? And that if we just have open conversation, that we, if we talk to each other, if we listen to each other, that gaming can be such a positive, like the, the loop we talked about at the start, right? When, when developers make something and gamers love it, and then developers are inspired by that, and then gamers are inspired by those games. I, I, I love that. I love that about games. So, um, and you know, if anybody's listening and they, they felt that, um, if I can make one request, go send a tweet or an email or a Reddit to just like the developer of your favorite game and just let them know that you love their game. Like if, if that is something I could ask, like, please do that. It really, really makes a difference. Yeah, that's that's really great. And I, I will do that because Bungie is my favorite game of all time, despite its flaws. And I've had the most incredible journey and I've met some of the most incredible people playing this game. And it led us on a road to having a podcast of our own <laughs> where we can talk about Destiny each and every week and meet incredible people like you and like P-Tibbs. Okay, it's such yes. an incredible experience, and mm -hmm. thank you so thank much. Thank you so now, much, Rami. Before, thank you so much, well. Be Rami, before mm -hmm. we let you go, where can we learn more about you? So if you want to find me, uh, the H-A underscore Rami, which is R-A-M-I. Alternatively, you can look up Vlambeer or Nuclear Throne. I'm fine through those. Uh, if you are interested in game development, I am also organizing a games conference. Uh, you can find information about that at www.gamedev.world. Um, and if you have any questions, any remarks, anything you want to let me know, my DMs are open, so pick me a message. Very cool. And you can find our podcast on all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, iTunes, and all of the great platforms where you listen to podcasts. We're also available on the web at www.destinyshow.com. And you can follow us on the web on Twitter at The Destiny Show. And again, thank you so much for being here with us, Rami. I greatly appreciate your time. And it's such an honor to have had you on the podcast. So I am so grateful. And thank you very much for being with us tonight and for sharing your incredible story and your insights that really everyone should hear and I'm, I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with you the pleasure was all mine thanks so much <laughs> there he goes there there's the guy sir deej in the house we are back for part two of the Destiny Show podcast. Welcome back, Thank Shadow you. Price. How's your Friday night it's going? going? Peachy. Peachy, peachy. What you been uh, up to? Went to the music store with my son earlier, and we played guitar for about an hour, hour and a half. Tried out a bunch of different guitars. He showed me some of his uh, riffs that he's been learning, things like that. So 
it was pretty cool. It was a good time. Very cool. What kind of music Rock, is he into? Just like his dad. Hey, there you go. Hey, maybe you can teach him to play our as cover soon as song. I learn it. Yep. Or not I'll cover will. song. <laughs> theme song. Hey, he might actually learn oh, it right before you. Maybe. That would be interesting. Maybe. That could happen. We'll have to find some sheet music. Maybe. So what are we talking about this week, Shadow We Price? are talking about the PlayStation 5 being revealed. Well, they're not calling it PlayStation 5. 5. Uh, Mark Cerny did an interview with Wired.com, and he basically went on to talk about the the next-gen PlayStation. That's what he refers it to as the next PlayStation. That sounds pretty cool. And Mark Cerny, who is Mark Cerny for... Our listeners who may He's not know. He's one of the head engineers over at PlayStation. He headed up the hardware design of the PlayStation 4. And I believe he also worked on the PlayStation 3, if I'm not mistaken, too. Very interesting. Yeah, so he's been with Sony for quite yeah, some time. Yeah, he's one of the really, really smart dudes over there. <laughs> like, super smart like has like a, the voice of like a music teacher or something like singing you a lullaby. <laughs> so Mark Cerny, he is, let's see, he is 54 years old. He is a game designer, game producer and entertainment executive. Yeah, he worked on some games too. Like he helped out with development of Spider-Man on PlayStation 4 as well. And it looks like he also helped out as a digital consultant on a bunch of games like God of War 3, Killzone 3, <laughs> Knack, The Last Guardian, Knack 2, Marvel's Spider-Man. He was an executive producer for that one, and he is the technical producer for the upcoming Kojima game. He's Death the man Stranding. over there, at Sony, as far as in the U.S. branch. Wow, he's doing a lot, and he was the producer and designer for Spyro the Dragon and Crash Bandicoot back in the day, too. Wow, he's been doing it a long really time. He's had his fingers in a lot of pies. When it comes to the video game industry of Sony. Yeah, and he's he's been with Sony since 1996. Yep, that's one year after the PlayStation launched in the U.S. That's really interesting. And, of course, we learned a couple of things about the PlayStation 5 or the upcoming next-gen PlayStation that is expected to release not this year but it's probably going to be coming out next year although it hasn't been confirmed no it hasn't been confirmed yet they basically said yeah it's not coming out this year he confirmed that it's not coming out this year but all signs point to it coming out next year i mean sony skipping e3 this year 
you know, because they just they're working on the console. They're they're working on the next gen system. They don't have anything new to show. What are we going to see? Death Stranding again and Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us Two for the eighth time. I mean, so that makes sense. Yeah. And the game has been in development for the last four years, according to Mark Cerny. Yeah, the system they've been working on it since uh, 2015. Yep, they were yep. developing it alongside the PS4 Pro. And what are some cool features that were announced for uh, this PlayStation 5 console? Or it's going to be next gen console. It's going to be AMD chip uh, inside. It's going to be the third generation uh, Ryzen. It's going to have uh, the Ryzen. It's going to be the Zen 2. Uh, it's a seven nanometer chip, and it's going to have eight cores um, from what that was uh, explained. And the GPU is going to be of the Navi uh, line, which and these things have not come to market yet either. They're supposed to come around the summer of uh, this year. So they're putting brand new tech into this system that hasn't even hit the market yet. And in the interview with Wired Magazine, Mark Cerny did also stress a couple of things with this next generation console. He made a really strong emphasis on ray tracing as a feature that is a first of its kind. And also we're expected to get a really fast revolutionary solid state hard drive that is promising to kill load times in the games that we play. And fundamentally, this next console is expected to be a game-changing jump from what we already have with PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 4 Pro. Yeah, I mean, he, he said that the ray tracing was going to be, or not the ray tracing, but the, the solid-state drive that they're putting in there is going to be better than what's in our current PCs. Like, yes. Yes. How, uh, that's incredible if that's true. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I love the, having the solid state drive in the PC. It just makes everything load super, super fast. I mean, browsing websites, loading up games, everything, turning on the PC. <laughs> what they say about this hard drive that is being introduced with the next generation PlayStation is that the hard drive will be a game changer and include a specialized solid state hard drive, unlike any current solid state on the market. They did a test, which was an experiment showing the load times comparing a PS4 Pro using Spider-Man as an example, loading it or I should say rendering it in 4K, and the next-gen console was able to load it in 0.8 seconds, and the PS4 Pro took 15 seconds. Just to give you an idea of what the jump was with this next-generation console, it will also support 8K graphics, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean... They're trying to future-proof it. I mean, we're definitely not there because, I mean, the, yeah, there are probably 8K TVs, but 
I've, I've, I've heard of them. I've, I've seen them, but they're like $13,000. So <laughs> nobody can really afford them or anything like that. And um, I mean, what content would really be available today? Yeah. In What's it going to run in 15 frames, <laughs> like 10 frames, 8K and 15, 10 frames. <laughs> I think uh, Linus Tech Tips does experiments with crazy things like this. So he pushes graphics cards to their limit that's one of the things that he does on his channel and you could see some really neat stuff that can be done with like 8k graphics but we're definitely not there as a medium i think the content definitely is not there also i think you would need substantial bandwidth to be able to load such big games and then also the file size will be so substantial that i think that massive the file the current medium will struggle maintaining it so i think we're not quite there yet yeah it's also uh another thing that was pointed out in this interview it's going to also have 3d audio sound in the system yes yeah that was another really (laughs) big thing that mark cerny stressed during his interview And they are expecting that the audio will be a substantial jump from the comparison between the PS3 and the PS4 in terms of sound evolution. Cerny also promised a more immersive sound where the sound will hit players from above, from behind, and from the sound simulating a 3D audio environment. Kind of like if you're at the movies, kind of like, you know, when you're at the movie theater and you feel that sound coming at you from all directions, like, like super, super surround sound, basically. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's really cool. And the, the fact that it has gonna, is going to have ray tracing technology too, because that also factors into the sound, not only what you see, but the way sound is also emitted as well, you know. So you think ray tracing is also impacting the audio that comes out during the video game? Yes. Oh, really? Okay, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. The way the light, like, refracts off things and is, is, like, magnified in certain areas, and you're going to have that, that the sound is also going to follow, and that's, you know, because of the ray tracing and everything, so. That is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to give you that uh, really cool lighting effect with uh, the ray tracing. Yes. That's really cool. Now, they didn't mention anything about PSVR except for that the current PSVR will be compatible with the upcoming next-generation console. Right. They're they're still working, I'm sure, on the next uh, iteration of PSVR. So... That's why they're saying, yes, the PSVR will be compatible, but we have nothing to announce for a new headset or anything yet. When when do you think we'll get a new PSVR headset? Uh, I would say not at the launch of PS5, but probably like I would say 2021. I agree. I think the year after because yeah. launching a console is challenging there's a lot of moving pieces that come into play when launching a console and i'm pretty sure it would be that much more difficult for them to not only keep up with the demand but also to distribute such 
a large volume of SKUs. So I think that they're probably going to um, wait a year. That would make sense. Plus, if you think about it, whenever a new console comes out, there's bugs they have to worry about. So there's the yeah. support aspect that they would have to deal with. So yeah, I think that it's probably going to come out in 2021. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do in response to companies like Oculus. Oculus, yeah, and Vive, uh, HTC Vive. Yep. HTC Vive, yep. Yeah. It's and, always... Uh, oh, go ahead. There's two other things that uh, we know about this next-generation console, which is actually a really positive thing, especially for a company like Sony that's not historically been known to play nice with other game companies and platforms. We know that backwards compatibility will be included with the ps4 yeah it yep at least the ps4 that's been confirmed at this moment we don't know if that goes any deeper or any further back than ps3 or ps2 or anything we're waiting to still hear if that is still a possibility it would be nice because that's kind of like what xbox is doing you know they're you're able to play games all the way back on the original xbox basically on on your xbox one and xbox one x so and speaking of xbox what about that elephant in the you know <laughs> you know what i'm talking about the are we talking about the discless xbox the xbox one sad or we, we are the yeah. the sad xbox with a really sad face and a piece of tape over the disk drive yeah that happened i uh i don't know what uh microsoft was thinking with that one to tell you the truth i don't understand them charging 250 dollars and removing the 4k blu-ray player i don't understand that at all like i would understand if they priced it at around 199 and then pack the games with it too as well and if it was like i would say two terabyte because if it's digital only you you get in your everything's digital you're not there's no disc there's no disc drive so you have to install everything to play it that's a really good point it would make a lot more sense if they were this console with a lot more space like two terabytes or four terabytes but the fact that they're not it's just really odd. And the games that you're getting with this console, what games are you, are they offering? I know Forza Horizon 3 is one of those games. There's Minecraft. Minecraft and w- what's that third one? That would be Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves. I don't know, man. I just... It's a tough sell. I just don't know. I think what they're... They're trying to basically... They're trying to see who's going to buy at that price. They're coming in at that price. They want to see who doesn't have Xboxes yet or has waited this long, maybe wanted something that, you know, heard about it and wanted something that was all digital. They're going to drop that price quick. <laughs> Once they realize that people aren't going to buy at that price, that thing will be $199 pretty quick, I, I imagine. And then probably by Black Friday, about like $150 possibly. Yeah, and I think for me, it would still be a pretty hard sell because I kind of like having that 
a Blu-ray aspect to it. Yeah. And you were able to get a 4K Blu-ray version of the Xbox One S for about $150 around Black Friday, too. In 2017. So I, <laughs> That's when I got I, mine. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's just really baffling to me that they would mm. release this console when they did. I mean, and part of it, I think, has to do with them pushing a their streaming digital service. platform and their streaming service. xCloud, yeah. And also they have a Xbox Game Pass program too, where you can subscribe for I want to say it's ten dollars a month, if yeah. not mistaken. Yep. And you get access to a number of video games uh that are mostly f- the first party games, but they do have some third party games that are being introduced also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the whole thing with the whole digital you know, thing and taking out the, I mean, I, I'm sure you can get 4k content on there as far as like watching things on Netflix and maybe buying things off their store for, for like watching movies and things like that. But, you know, is it, is the disc better for 4k or like this? It as definitely it, is better. Yes, absolutely. It's, de- right. it definitely produces a better picture quality. Okay. That's yeah. what I was wondering. I didn't because the digital, you know, you could there could be spikes in the in your Internet, basically, sometimes, you know, where you get these dips and all of a sudden the picture quality goes to shit. <laughs> so. I think for most people, you probably won't have to worry about it because the bandwidth should be sufficient, but it's not going to be the same everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some people out there who may not have internet access where they are. So I think an all digital console doesn't always work in a practical way. It, it It's a convenient thing, sure, but you do lose certain aspects in going all digital. You know, you yeah. don't have that physical copy of the game that you really enjoy. And there's something kind of cool about, you know, going to, to a video game store, buying the game. And having something physical you can hold on to, the cover art and the actual cartridge. And guess what? If the website goes down or if servers go down or if licensing issues occur, you still have that copy of the game that you can play. And if your internet's down, it's okay because you you yep, still have yeah. a copy of the game. That's another thing. Like, how who's going to stock this? Like... I think this is going to piss some of the retailers off because they don't make money off selling the hardware, like practically any. They make money off the software. And if this thing is all digital, they they can't sell them discs. Like, yeah, they might have some digital codes for games and things like that in their store. But who's going to do that? You're going to buy it right off your system. My my thinking is that what they're going to do is they're going to create greater incentives for retailers to sell these consoles they have to. by giving them a bigger cut and just taking a loss on it. And I mean, at a $250 price point where I don't really see where you're getting really much of anything here, you're getting three games that you can probably get for not a whole money and you're losing out on the disc drive. You're not getting more space it just doesn't really make sense, and I definitely see a price drop to one ninety nine by the holiday season. 
Yeah. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. That's a good uh, point that they would provide more incentives to sell them, you know, to lessen the blow to the retailers and everything. Yeah. I think they might also like a subscription based program where you can finance the console and buy it from them directly. Oh, they have so one of those things. Be, yeah, yeah. So they might be pushing some kind of a program like that with this console because that would make sense too. Yeah. Microsoft has one of those things in place where you can basically rent an Xbox and game pass for a certain amount of time before like you pay it off. Like, I guess, I guess the number is like what you would normally pay for it, but it broken down over like two years in monthly payments. Basically, you can do that with the Xbox One S and the One X, I believe. Oh, interesting! I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, they talked about okay. that. I think sometime last year. It's interesting that they didn't mention it during this announcement at all. Yeah. They must not be doing too good with it. <laughs> it must not be yeah. doing too well. Um, to get back to the PlayStation conversation really quick here. Um, what happened now, with PlayStation? Well, I wanted to talk about, like, since we know these specs. Well, we don't know the specs. We, we know what the chips they're using. We know the GPU they're using. What are the games going to look like? Are, are, we gonna, are, we, are they going to be finally be able to hit 60 frames? I mean... 4K 60, is that a possibility on the system? Is Destiny going to be able to run in 60 frames on this system? Destiny 3. I think that we are going to reach 4K 60 with games like Destiny. I don't know if it's going to be a stable 4K 60. It does take a lot to push to push such graphics. They would probably have to create a revolutionary way to deal with heat dissipation if they were able to achieve these kind of right numbers the thing is though they finally improved the processor like this is this is a good processor i looked at some of the initial initial specs now granted this is going to be pared down from what's in the pcs i'm guessing right it's not going to be a one-to-one drop from what's in the pc to the console correct yeah yep It should be able to be substantially more processing power in that system than what is currently in the PS4 Pro. Yeah, it's it's going to be more powerful, no doubt. So I think that reaching a 4K60 resolution would be more of a reality, especially because we don't really know what they're doing with the gpu but it looks very promising between the the chip and the gpu i think they're going to create something pretty powerful yeah the gpu is rumored to be around what a 1080 would possibly be for that's now that's the graphics card that they're releasing on the market but how See, is it going to be when they pair it down into the system though you know i heard it was going to be more like a 1660 graphics card really that came out yeah oh which is like slightly below the geforce uh 2080 no 1070 
Oh, it's below the 1070. Oh, okay. Slightly, slightly below the 1070. Almost as powerful as, as a 1070. Okay, I wasn't familiar with that card, actually. Yeah. Okay. That's a newer one that came out, I want to say late last year. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with a console this powerful, what do you think the cost will be of this console? I know they want... People think that they can sell it at 400. There's no way. There's no way with what they're trying to use in the system, the the processor, the graph, you know, the GPU, the solid state drive. They said that's going to be better than what's in PCs. This 3D audio. This thing is going to be at least five hundred dollars. I would not be surprised if this was six hundred. Yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be six. I don't think they would make it any cheaper than 600 bucks because I think it's going to cost them about seven, 750 to produce these starting out. It's going to take some time for these technologies to drop in price where yeah. they can cut the price. I honestly don't see that happening until maybe 2022. Yeah, I mean, these are new new chips. These are This is new tech coming onto the market that they're putting into the system. It'll only be basically a year old once the system comes out. So I don't think it's going to drop that much in price, this, you know, that tech when the system comes out. So like you said, the cooling system that they have to have in there and everything to handle heat dissipation and stuff too, because um, that's going to be pumping out the, the, the juice, like it's going to have to have some really awesome cooling system in there to keep things cool and not yeah. overheat and everything. Now, when do you think it's going to get released? It's uh, holiday 2020, uh, November, sometime in November, 2020. That's my call. That's, I that's what I think. Yeah, I agree. Just because they talked about it this year, it wouldn't make sense for them to release it two years later you know so i think next year will be the year they release it i think that we are going to get a formal announcement of the playstation 5 during the playstation conference later the, i want to uh, say like PSX. late summer psx yep uh i think it's in the fall if I uh it's actually in december psx okay but that would still be good because that's like just like a year out basically if yeah. they were, you know, they would say it's coming holiday 2020 and then see you at 83, basically, in 2020. You think we're going to get a price for this console this December or do you think we're going to have to no. wait until E3? you're going to have to wait? They, they're they not going to give it up. They're not, they're not giving it up until E3 <laughs> yeah, of 2020. Why do you think that? They want to keep selling PS4s. <laughs> and everything fair enough that makes sense you know this was a bold move from sony to reveal this so early like actually sony like confirming some of these details and everything like now go ahead what games do you think we'll see with this upcoming console what are some release lineup games that you're expecting to see uh probably horizon zero dawn 2 um, oh, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah. Probably 
Last of Us 2. It's going to be cross-gen with PS4 and PS5. Death Stranding. You uh, think we're going to finally get Death Stranding? Oh, yeah. Death Stranding. If it does not come out, I, I still don't think it's coming out until the PS5. I think that's a PS5 game. But oh, definitely. It will also play on PS4. It's going to be cross-gen and everything. You think? Yeah, because Kojima said that it's going to be able to still play on PS4 and your PS4 Pro and everything. So Interesting. I mean, they could always make changes, though. You never know. Like, these software <laughs> developers, you know, they always do make changes. Uh, Maybe but, it will be 30 frames on PS4. PS4 Pro and 60 frames 60 on the PS5. On PS5. Yeah, yeah. that's that that's a sense. possibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see them maybe patching some other games too, making Spider-Man run in 60 frames instead of 30 frames. Everything. How about a little game called <laughs> Destiny 3? Yeah. What do you think of that? That's it's got to be 60. Like if they aren't trying to reach a frame rate of 60 frames, then they're doing it wrong. <laughs> if you have do a shooter, you, think, you need it to be 60 frames. Do you think it's going to be a lineup game? Uh, ooh, ooh, that would be a really sexy one if it was. Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. Bungie likes to release in September, but I don't see the system coming out till at least November. Well, here's here's an idea. What if they came out with the game for current gen platforms in September and then two months later when the PlayStation yeah. 5 comes out, they release the game with PlayStation 5? <laughs> or do they just itself. wait and they do it right in November and everything? Yeah. Or wait till december like do you think it's going to be done by then or do you think they're going to take their time and release it in like spring of 2021 i think that all all points indicate to them releasing the game in september of 2020 so i think that's what they're going to keep to i don't see that they're going to be able to continue the game with dlcs for another two years i just don't see that being a possibility if anything the game might get delayed but i think the current expectation is to be out september of 2020 yeah i see yeah and nothing's confirmed i you know i could be just speculating here but that's what i heard in terms of the articles that i read the people that I've spoken to on the topic. Yeah, I mean, that's a year and a half away. So, I mean, that's a likelihood. That's that's very possible, actually, to happen. So, speaking of PlayStation and Destiny, we have something to mention on the podcast, don't we, Shadow Price? Yes. Yes, we do. It's something that we just need to bring up discuss you know talk briefly about it just because it's important yeah it affects us affects all people who play destiny i feel like in my opinion and i'll be honest with you i was kind of on the fence about whether or not we should talk about this tonight because on the one hand i don't want to shit on bungie i understand that making video games is difficult 
and that you're not there to really know all of the different pick all of the different points that come into play all of the different aspects that come into play here for example you don't know you know if bungie is doing this because they need to in order to fund the game if they do then is it such a bad thing f- you know for them to try to make a little bit more money for them to be able to bring us destiny you know and then i try to think well what if without this exclusivity deal we wouldn't get the game that we got you know yeah at the same time i do think that practices like what playstation has been doing putting companies like bungie into a pretty difficult situation where they have to agree to exclusivity deals that really do not benefit the players i think that is wrong and i think these practices should be discouraged if not permitted in the first place because i think it's one thing when you have video games that are first party titles that are released and made by the company that makes the platform but for a third party developer to be forced into a one year exclusivity in some cases a two year exclusivity i think that's not right and i think that it is anti consumer and practices like this should not take place yeah yeah i mean we've been very vocal about it on here that we're against it or at least the length of it and you know like you said we know that there there were deals in place there were contracts signed money exchanged hands blah 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 you know and you know the same thing goes for like I don't know, maybe Xbox when they had the exclusivity, like back in the Xbox 360 days, but they didn't, they didn't have it as long. You know, it was only like a month. It wasn't like a year or two years or anything like that. So, yeah, it's. And the way this topic came about was that there was a little screw up on the part of Bungie during the last week's departure of our favorite agent of the nine Zur, <laughs> and some players were able to acquire the exclusive wave splitter exotic trace rifle that was up to this point exclusive to playstation 4 but all players were able to acquire this weapon through the engram that is being sold by Zur. I believe it's called the Faded Engram, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. So, in response, Bungie disabled the weapon since screw up, and it will be made available for all players this fall. So, luckily, we won't have to wait two whole years to get the bread, as they say. Yeah. But. PlayStation players not only got the Wave Splitter, but they also have a exclusive strike called Brood Hold that came out with the launch of uh, Forsaken. And it is a Hive-themed strike on the Tangled Shore. Yeah, it's just more content that people 
who don't have PlayStations, Joe decided to play their, you know, Destiny other places aren't getting for a year. Yeah. And so let me ask you something. Do you think that Bungie should have signed this exclusivity agreement? Uh, their situation at the time, they probably had no choice just due to thing, you know, they just broke away from Microsoft probably. And they were talking with Activision to pitch the game and everything. And they probably had to make some deals to, to fund it further and everything, you know, and I don't, I don't blame them for doing it. I just, I, it's just the, the length of the terms I, I have a problem with and just Sony. So basically, I don't know, kind of grimy about everything, you know, not only that, but you know, all the cross play, you know, the cross platform initiative that they've totally against yeah. as well. See, I think that Sony has been kind of almost a little too anti-consumer in the last couple of years, at least, if not more. And I don't agree with these practices in any way. I don't think that it benefits anybody to have these items be exclusive for a 12-month period or greater. I just think it's uncalled for in every respect. And essentially, you're being sold a video game that is not equal to what everybody else paid for. And I do not think that is right from a economic standpoint. It's just not... Yeah, it's not an appropriate reaction for them to take in order to get players to use their platform. Yeah, they they created a walled garden, basically, you know, saying that, you know, we don't want to play with others. We want everybody to just play here in PlayStation land. Be happy and merry. And (laughs) do you see this being toned down in the future with exclusivities and what PlayStation is doing now and where they are moving the platform into the future i see them having to do it yeah we we're gamers are much more intelligent now you know social media we we live on social media gaming news happens 24 7 now everybody is privy to this information now so i mean people like you know, from Jason Sharp from Kotaku and, you know, all the other outlets are out there reporting on the news in the gaming world. So yeah. I think this is something that they are going to have to do or they're going to they're going to lose. Uh, they're going to lose some gamers on there and they're going to lose people. Yeah, and I think that we also can't ignore what Nintendo is doing switch and with rumors going around about a Switch Pro and a next generation Switch model, I think yeah. that, you know, there's going to be a real console war this time around. It's not just Xbox and PlayStation. The Switch is going to be in on it. And also, we can't fully ignore Google Stadia and what they're doing because it's going to be a pretty tough sell to sell somebody in a 500 500- platform when they can go out and spend $50 or $100 and get a comparable experience to what Google is promising. Now, we'll see how it actually plans out, 
once we see the project all unfold, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, there are a lot of players in the market right now, you know, like you said, Google Stadia has entered, you know, where there's rumors that Walmart started like a streaming service and things like that, too. And, and, and maybe like Target, like it's like everybody wants a piece of the pie. You know, it's like you got the big three, obviously, you know, that, yeah, they are in competition with each other, even though Nintendo says, oh, we're not competing. We're not competing. Trust me, they're competing. They have to. They're they're one of the big three. So, yeah, I don't think we should, you know, go on about this whole exclusivity thing for too long because, you know, I want to move on to something more positive and more uplifting. And yeah. we do have a Bungie weekly update or a This Week at Bungie or a TWAB, whatever you want to call it, that was revealed to us pretty late last night. Yet again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're on West they Coast time. At work. So. Yep, they are hard at work on other projects. But the Bungie Weekly update didn't come out until like, I wouldn't say like 8 o'clock at night last night. Yeah. yeah. Just which would it. be about 5 o'clock, which is like end of day for them. Yep. They waited till zero hour <laughs> to release it. Yeah. And what was revealed in this weekly update? Grandma's back. She's back in. Aww, she's did back she bring on the cookies? Beat. She didn't bring cookies, cookies this time. Let's oh, rip. No cookies. She brought some crazy tonic juice. Crazy grandma juice. Oh, man. Not the go-go juice. <laughs> yeah. Gives us our grenades and our melees and our class abilities quicker. So what is this tonic you speak of? Uh, Reveler's Essence, I believe it's called. And it, it gives it gives you, like I said, a faster grenade recharge. It can give you a faster melee or throwing knives if you're on the hunter, uh, gunslinger, and a faster class ability cooldown. Very and cool. I mean, they're super fast too. Like, have you, you tried it yet? Have you used the the tonic yet as an ability? I haven't really had a chance to play. I'm hoping to play some more of it this weekend. I did start playing for about, I would say, a half hour, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to um, get much done. So I'm going to definitely play through this weekend and maybe some more tonight. That might yeah. be fun. Yeah, the verdict. Uh, played the verdant forest activity uh it's it's fun it's a lot of fun you get to use that revelers essence in there and you're literally throwing a grenade like every two seconds <laughs> two to three seconds it, it fills up that quick and i guess it's a problem in the crucible too from what i hear people are like well going they, into competitive they disabled it. it in competitive they disabled it Did they? No I, I thought they just did no they said they couldn't nope. they couldn't do it they disabled oh. you'd be able to get orbs uh, from precision kills and things like that. They said oh, they were really? yeah, they aren't fixing they aren't fixing the whole um, class ability thing or the grenade spam because it's only three weeks long from what I hear. And they said it's going to take them to they would have to change like they'd have to take the game offline and all that stuff to make the fixes and stuff and they just they can't do that right now. Interesting. 
So and also we yeah. know, we know that the uh, Arbalest exotic is now available in the game. Yep, you can get that and for three hundred, um, three hundred essence. You can and the seven triumphs. You have to do seven of the triumphs to complete it. Yeah, so there's a set of triumphs that released with the revelry and if you complete some of seven of them and, and you have 300 of those uh new tokens essentially you can purchase it from sweet grandma eva levante <laughs> sweet and granny. there's something new too that was just announced with this weekly update. As part of the Bungie rewards, if you eliminate 150 enemies with super abilities during revelry, and you complete the super celebratory triumph and then visit the Bungie rewards page, you will get a new emblem in-game. That's pretty cool. You know, for doing something you get rewarded in that nice little emblem it's cool yeah i think that's pretty cool and there's some more stuff that was re with this update as well we got a new trailer didn't we yeah we did we got a developer insight trailer yesterday from bungie and what exactly did we see in this trailer price we saw the story that of the drifter like how's bungie is basically describing the drifter and what role he's playing right now and where he's been and what could be happening in the near future that is really interesting and where was he where was the drifter what's his deal uh, they say they go on to say that in the in the I'm sorry I can anyway we're gonna fix that <laughs> um, you might want to do this part <laughs> I'm looking at it wrong and everything okay sorry about that so what we know about the drifter is that he's really old. <laughs> He was reawoken by the Traveler in a time of great suffering in Destiny called the Dark Age. The Lightbearer brought him back by the Traveler. And according to the developers, they stated that we look at Season of the Drifter as kind of about identity. The Drifter is, of course, connected to the Emissary of the Nine. And he met Orin in the trailer that we saw. Orin offered the Drifter a gift. Who is Orin? We don't know. Orin is the Emissary that talked to the Drifter in the videos that we saw when Orin said, I offer you a gift. She used to be a nine. Guardian, correct? Yep. Mm hmm. She's pretty heavily involved in the lore of Destiny. And I believe we talked about it with uh, Green from Focused Fire Chat not too long ago. I think we brought up Orin as one of the characters 
when we talked about the nine and that is the emissary yeah yeah they showed some brief uh snippets and glimpses in the trailer of what Orin possibly looked like you know looks like we could be getting some more cutscenes this season yeah and Orin, of course offers the drifter a gift the nine apparently gave the drifter a realm of his own to control according to polygon and they did write a pretty decent article about this recently after the weekly update launched and there is some more information about some new stuff that's coming next week on april 23rd at 10 a.m pacific time iron banner will return old iron banner and of course with it returns the wizened rebuke Shadow Price, what's the verdict on this awesome, wizened rebuke that is promised to us with Iron Banner? Well, I mean, that's the for getting the 500 kills under that, under that, I wouldn't say buff, but... The was, Iron Burden. The debuff, yeah. The debuff. Yeah. What, what are your I'm, thoughts on this debuff? Do you, did you like it? Not really. I really no. I mean, it just didn't seem like it didn't seem like the reward was all that great. You know, like it didn't seem like you were. It didn't seem very fun either. Like I was playing it, and I'm just like, okay, you know, it, it's harder to kill people in Iron Banner. That's wonderful. <laughs> And it's just, I don't know, having to get 500 kills like that, too, and for a weapon that's just not that great, it's just maybe average, you know, I just felt like this was kind of a little bit of a miss. Um, Here's my thoughts on it. I think that the Wizened Rebuke was not a good enough reward for the activity. I think the the Iron Burden did changed things up a bit and made it more interesting so i think in that respect it succeeded right it made iron banner quite a bit different and it made it more of a challenge for those who wanted to take that challenge on i think the problem wasn't necessarily with they took an old weapon though activity i think it's the weapon that was being offered as a reward that is the problem here and i think it's a common occurrence that bungie has been going through lately because they seem to reintroduce weapons that aren't really that great and you would think with forsaken they would really update iron banner but they kind of didn't at least not as much as we would want yeah i mean it would be nice if this was like maybe like a effort eight spear or like a yolder's hammer or something or give like a multiple like you know do give like multiple activities or things like that for like you know do trying to achieve the goal or whatever like like a couple different choices or even things like that or like have to get 500 kills or have to get like so many like you know super kills or, or you know something something like that um yeah 
it just would have been nice to it would have been a nice opportunity. I mean, I know they don't want to bring the old old weapons back from D one, but I think it would have landed better, in my opinion. I agree. I think that the Iron Banner weapons from D one were special, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they were more fun, and I think they were better weapons to offer as rewards and i i really hope that in the future they do come back if not this season then hopefully in the future seasons in destiny leading up to destiny 3 so how about this how about a quest how about an iron banner quest that'd be pretty that'd be cool, nice right that'd be pretty cool yeah <laughs> it would it would be pretty cool to go back and for them to do kind of a rise of iron 2.0 dlc that would be pretty cool for them to go back and make Iron Banner really fun and do some storylines behind Iron Banner and really flush out more of the lore. I think there's a lot they can do with that. Yeah, because, I mean, it, there are stories there that there can be told still and things like that. Um, yeah. We are Iron Lords, after all. So <laughs> We are, and Lord... Saladin is proud of you, Guardian. <laughs> now, let's move on to some nerfs that are on the way. Mm. We have some nerfs that are coming to the game that were announced with the weekly update. Up Spectral Blades. Out of Stealth, DR reduced from 60% to 52%. In stealth, DR reduced from 62% to 54.4%. I love that 0.4. Yeah, they're getting uh, pretty, really pretty precise. precise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, DR is damage reduction. So that's... Uh, they go on to say, basically, about this, that they, uh, they say, previously, this super had the highest damage reduction of all the roaming supers, either in stealth or not. This change reduces Spectral Blades to have the lowest DR of all roaming supers while stealth is not active and to be in line with the low end while staff stealth is active. With stealth, vision through walls, and fast shifty movement, this super ability actually has a lot of built-in survivability. This means a lower DR will demand better planning and positioning to survive for multiple kills, which lines up well with the fantasy of the path. And they say this is also a first step toward trying out a roaming super with lower damage reduction. So let us know what you think. And they did make a few more changes on this for super duration, actually. So the super length out of stealth with no attacking, they brought down, it was at 17.5 seconds, and now it's at 14.5 seconds. And the super length in stealth with no attacking, with no attacking, is from it was at 26.6 and is now down to 23.5 seconds and light melee costs increased by 50 percent so what do you think of these changes i think that these are kind of necessary changes in pvp and i think they probably need to do a little bit more because the Spectral Blade is very deadly when it comes to the Crucible, and I think that 
the three second reduction in the duration is a step in the right direction but i think they need to do more to balance it so that way it is not the go-to and nothing else can bite it so yeah it's good first step yeah they so if you're not attacking it looks like it's going to decrease quicker but if you are attacking while you're in stealth, it looks like it's going to last longer. And it sounds like you are you have less damage reduction when you're out of stealth. So the more you're out of stealth, the more damage you're going to take. So I guess, you know, it it's not huge changes, like you said, but step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And also... We got some more information about a fundraising event that is taking place over at Bungie. And this is an annual thing, so they do this every year. And it is called Kilts for Kids. Mm-hmm. And they are looking to raise $77,000. And if you donate at least 10 bucks, we'll get, I want to say it's an emblem. That's an exclusive emblem. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You have to spend 50 to get the emblem. That's kind of uh, steep. Ouch. <laughs> Although it's for the kids, so you That's are true. Yeah. donating for a good to cause. a cause. It's for a good cause. Yeah. yeah. If you donate a hundred bucks, you will get a postcard signed by the K4K team. If you donate two fifty, get a digital print of exclusive art made by Mark Flieg. Flieg. <laughs> I probably butchered his name. I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> If you donate 500 bucks, you will get a physical print of Mark's exclusive art. And if you donate $1,000, you will get the ultimate prize. What do you get, Shadow Price? You get to participate in a Bungie Studio visit with you and two guests. Dates scheduled quarterly in 2019 and 2020 and announced separately to donors after the event concludes. Yeah, and if you are so lucky to be in the top 50 donors, you will also receive a pretty badass sweet copy of Destiny 2 Collector's Edition for the PlayStation 4. That's pretty neat. A signed copy, too. It's pretty neat. I have a copy, but it's not signed. It's not as cool as signed copy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity for you to support a great cause. Yep. Yep. And it says the email will be sent to the donors at each prize tier at the end of the event, no later than Wednesday, May 10th, with instructions on redeeming each prize. Yeah. And if you want to learn more, you can learn more at www.bun and check out the latest weekly update for April 19th, 2019. You kind of cut out there a little bit when you said uh, the website. www.bungie.net and you can check out the weekly update that 
was uh, released for the week of April 18th, 2019. Nice. So in traditional form, we are going to rate this week's update in the form of spicy tuna rolls. And Shadow Price, what would you rate this week's update? I'm going to go... 3.5 just because really yeah because i like they you know i know the vidoc was separate from you know but they put it in the weekly update just you know for people who didn't see it and everything they released it earlier that day that was yesterday right yeah <laughs> yes they, they released it earlier that day so that was pretty cool because there was some nice uh information in that vidoc so yeah, three point five. Yeah, and I'm going to give it a four out of five because I think that the trailer showed us some really interesting things without spoiling too much. It was short and sweet, about three minutes long. If you have a chance to check that out, I encourage you to go ahead and do that at bungie.net and check out the latest weekly update. It is going to be in there, or you can actually find it in our show notes that i will include on www.destinyshow.com and i think that brings us to the very end of our episode oh is it all over is it i think so i think so i don't think Hmm. it's feasible to go beyond three and a half hours for an episode i think people have other responsibilities each week that will prevent them from giving us that time but we do appreciate your time and we appreciate you listening to us on all of your favorite platforms where you listen to podcasts on apple spotify well anchor podmean and the list goes on so shadow price before we wrap things up for the night i do want to thank our guest this e- well on this episode <clears throat> Rami Ishmael he was an incredible guest on the show and we learned so much and I'm really really greatly appreciative taking the time out of his day to come on with us and talk about Destiny and his experience in video games and I think that I've developed a much deeper appreciation for the video game industry and what the developers have been working on so very hard to achieve with the games that we enjoy playing. Yeah. And go ahead. Yeah, it was it was great having him on and just talking about the gaming industry, how he sees it. You know, he's he's a you know, a great developer, you know, he's been doing this for a while. He's, he said he's been playing games and, you know, he tried to break them when he was a kid and everything, you know, just, it's like gaming in his, in his DNA, you know, and it's just so awesome to be able to talk to someone as intelligent as him and just a great human being. I'm really grateful. Yeah. He came on the show and thank you very much, Rami. Yeah, we are extremely grateful being on the podcast and we learned so much and gained 
so many unique perspectives on the industry and what it takes to make it in this industry and so many different topics that we covered on the show. It was for me a highlight for my podcasting journey and I really greatly appreciate him and I also appreciate you coming on with me each and every week to talk about the game that we love to play. The feeling is mutual, my friend. So on that note, Shadow Price, where can we learn about you? You can follow me on Twitter at ShadowPrice79. You could also, when I stream, you could follow me on twitch.tv forward slash I am Shadow Price. Very awesome. And you can find me at omg cornholio on twitter you can find our podcast at www.destinyshow.com you can also find us on twitter at the destiny show you can find us on instagram at destiny show podcast and but we're coming to more places where you like to listen to your content or watch your content. So maybe that'll give you a little hint at what we're doing. But I am really excited for future of Destiny podcast. We're going to be doing some really awesome things. So on that note, Guardians, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Destiny Show podcast. We hope you have an amazing week and we hope you enjoy playing The Revelry. to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. The hosts at Robots Radio get a lot of questions from people who are interested in starting their own podcasts about how they can start, how they can grow their audiences, how they can create good content, even what microphone to use and what software to use, things like that. Well, we're changing things up at Robots Roundtable to talk and share about the things that we've learned, the things that work, and the things that don't. We're sharing with you our actual real-world experience. How can you launch a show like the Fallout Lorecast and get as many listeners as we did early on and rock it to the top of the charts on Apple Podcasts? How do you create a show in such a crowded marketplace as it is today, as opposed to 10 years ago? 
We're getting together every week to share our answers with you. Just look up The Podcast Professor, a robots roundtable with the hosts from Robots Radio. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 